Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off the my lighting up. Oi! From my friends, the star of the show. Oi! Oi! I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oi! This Oi! is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help. For my friends, 77 WABC. Diego, blast from the past, the summer of 69, half a million strong up the New York State Thruway. And for three days, like pigs in the trough, just rolling around in the mud of Woodstock, group after group after group performed. And by the way, this theme song, sung by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, one of my all-time favorites, was actually given to them by Joni Mitchell, their friend, fellow Canadian of Neil Young, who couldn't make it up there and said, you boys do the song. You boys do the song. And it blew up from there. But one of the features uh, that was shown at Woodstock was people doing Puff Puff Pass. They would roll up a fattier joint. They'd pass it around in the crowd. It was called Peace, Love, and Happiness. Similarly, in 1969, if you went to the West Coast, Haight-Ashbury, Golden Gate Park, same uh, situation would take place. It was an era of rebellion, peace, love, happiness, and smoking marijuana. And then all of a sudden, Altamont came because the Rolling Stones thought that they could uh, equal that, uh, that aura. And it just came crashing down as they hired the Hells Angels to do the security for a few cases of beer. That's right, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, those degenerates. And they ended up ripping through that uh, racetrack, the crowds that had assembled, and even the grateful dead said, we're out of here. We're West Coast guys and gals. We're giving out free acid. But this 
This is a violent lot you brought up here, Mickey. Yeah, the Rolling Stones didn't care. It was all about the money. It wasn't about peace, love, and happiness. Well, there was a little slice of that yesterday down in Greenwich Village. And it's interesting because the whole world was watching the first opening of a licensed pot shop in New York State. Even though the legislation was signed a year ago. And again, I can't say it enough. Born and raised here in New York City, Jersey does it better. Jersey does it better. They did no cash bail better. And they did their rollout of the recreational use of marijuana sold in legally licensed state stores. Now, 32 of them across the Garden State. 10,000 times better than what I saw yesterday. And I had the pleasure of being uh, sent down to the area by uh, our own John Katsimatidis, our owner-operator, talk show host in his own right. He'll be joining me at 7 o'clock as we take you to the 10 o'clock hour, substituting for Sid Rosenberg, who, (laughs) uh, well, what a lousy vacation it is for Sid and his family because their pipes had burst out there during the cold snap in the Rockaways. They knew not that they had to weatherize their their house that they bought from another family, and uh, they've spent their whole vacation basically trying to put put their house all back together again. But yesterday, because I'm the street smart guy, I know where all the bones are buried and who buried them, and I've been telling you for how long now that we were a dollar short and a day late getting the legally licensed state recreational use of marijuana stores up and running. And out of all the venues they chose, it couldn't be any worse in the heart of Greenwich Village where the competition is fast and furious almost on every block, in every venue, from Tompkins Square Park on the Lower East Side to Washington Square Park where people have been dealing openly for years. In fact, if you go back to the age of the beatniks in Washington Square Park, that's the 60s. They were dealing pot then. And then for years, the Rastafarians, the Rastafari, that's right, you blood clad, you Yankee man. You're, you're rude boy there. What is that, Ryan, we have here? Our telephone talent coordinator is Frank Moran. Oh, but that's right. Frank Moran was too busy with a wine and cheese testing event in Atlantic City. Rather than be at the number one news talk station in the nation, WABC. I can't figure that out. We're broadcasting to 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, and right on down to Davy Jones's locker between Bermuda and the Bahamas. Why the hell would you want to be anywhere else? I mean, this is the tower of power, more powerful than any radio station in the nation. And that's why at times WABC, the acronym stands for always broadcasting, Curtis, because they would rather... He had a wine and cheese tasting event, right, in Atlantic City, losing their shirt, shooting craps. And I'd rather be broadcasting because this is a blessing. This is a gift. This is not work. When John Cachimatidis, the cat man, said, Curtis, I want you to go down there for the grand opening of the New York State licensed pot store. I said, gladly. And I ran down there with uh, one other member of our crew here at WABC, and then my wife Nancy met me uh, down there. And I didn't go to the store first, like every other reporter. But schmucks and putzes, it's so damn lazy. Like a lot of my colleagues here in talk radio, I'm not going to mention them. 
You know what their whole show is? Biden sucks. Trump has fallen off his horse. And, oh, yeah, the sanctimonious might be the next president. Right? Uh, we could, like, Xerox copy it. So I said, no, 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 I'm not going to go down there to the store first. There's plenty of time before it's 420, before the opening. What I did was I went to Tompkins Square Park. I went to Washington Square Park, where they have a thriving black market, and they deal right out in the open as if it's a sook in Bahrain, as if it's a sook in Dubai. And you have all these people of color. It's mostly people of color who are dealing everything and more than you can buy legally in the New York State licensed store. And it's incredible because it's been out in the open for so long. If you're going to compete, you got to price compare. A, number one, the black market can underprice anything that's sold in this new store because... They're charging 13% tax. You would think, right, they would just charge sales tax, right? No, 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 they got to gouge, 13%. Right there, you go to the nearby black market dealer, who you know because you've already bought from him. No tax. Let me tell you the differences, straight up, just from a retail perspective. Whether you believe that uh, marijuana should be legal or remain decriminalized or illegal, the fact is it's retail now. It's straight up retail. You're going to pay more for the product in the New York State licensed pot shop. Way more for the product. A, you don't get to sample it. So, like, I go to a supermarket, as I was telling John Katzmatidis, and I remember my aunt, Aunt uh, Lucy, in North Miami Beach, was testing the grapes near the vegetable stand. And I said, Aunt Lucy, you can't do that. That's stealing. She goes, what are you talking about? I'm sampling the grapes because I'm not sure which, which bunch of grapes I want to buy. And yeah, even the guy who was tending the uh, the grapes and the other vegetables and fruits said to me, hey, yeah, this is the tradition, kid. To me, it was stealing, right? <laughs> I had to learn that. You go to a supermarket, they, they introduce a brand new product. You have uh, either a man or a woman there with a tray, and they're offering you free products. So you could sample it, and maybe you like it, and you'll buy it. No, 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 not in the New York State licensed uh uh, opening store, you don't get to sample anything. It's basically, look at the prices. They are extremely high. And the only way you get to sample it is buy it, take it to wherever you are, outdoors or indoors. You don't have to worry where you smoke it nowadays because you're not going to get arrested. You're not going to get ticketed. Uh, you you can basically toke up right in St. Patrick's Cathedral and they'll probably ask you to leave and then you finish your joint outside. That's how crazy it's become. No sampling. You go to a black market dealer out in the open. And by the way, there were no police anywhere yesterday. Not in Tompkins Square Park, not in Washington Square Park. No uniform police around this opening in which a few thousand people were around, not just the people online for hours. But people who were just uh, neck-bending, they were just their spectators in the media. No uniform cops, which is part of this new ethos. Cops bad. We don't want cops around. Well, what the hell? The cops aren't going to bust anybody for smoking pot or dealing pot. They're not going to do anything. They've been rendered impotent. But you see, City Hall made the decision, well, we don't want to upset the potheads because they may see a blue uniform and all of a sudden start screaming, no justice, no peace. Ugh. So anyway, 
I'm in Washington Square Park, where pot was being dealt with, uh, dealt out openly in the 60s. And these young men and young women, people of color, had all the products and more that you could get in a state dispensary. A, number one, you could test the product. B, number two, their product was from California, from Humboldt County, where the best pot domestically comes from. So you can't buy out-of-state pot or pot from any country in the world at these state-licensed facilities. You can only buy New York State-grown pot. And let me tell you, if you go to the Cannabis Bowl, which they have once a year in Amsterdam, which is the center of uh, pot development, pot smoking, you can go into a, a cafe and not only smoke pot but hash, They have a competition in which they test the different buds and strains because it's become very scientific. Uh, It's a whole agro industry now. Trust me, New York product is not involved there at all. In fact, if you uh, go to a wine tasting event like Frank Morano is hosting, you have wines there from France and Italy and New York State and California and the east end of Long Island. This is what it's all about. The customer comes first. And they didn't understand that. By the way, the underground dealers, the black market dealers will give you credit. New York State licensed pot store will not give you credit. Thirdly, and most importantly, is that it's a cash and carry business in the streets, but it's also a cash and carry business in the state licensed pot facility. You can't use a credit card. You can't use a debit card. Because the federal government still has established that marijuana is a level one drug, equivalent to heroin and fentanyl, which is nuts. But as a result of that, if you have a legal pot store, you cannot open up a bank account. Now, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in time once the newness of this wears off. Stick up kids are going to be waiting outside. They're going to see a lot of customers going in with cash. Everything is cash. And at a certain point, you close down. You have to leave. You can't leave the cash inside. They'll do a smash and grab. They'll break in. They'll steal the cash. They'll break into the the safe. Or if you transport it home and stuff it in your mattress or put it in your garage, they'll do home invasion. It's bound to happen. And then here are all these people for the first time. They're buying legal pot. They're online for hours and hours, four or five hours. I'm going to ask John Katsimatidis when he gets here at 7, the great retailer that he's been. Look, he's at Gustidi's. He's had D'Agostino's, he's had Sloan's, he had the original Red Apple supermarkets. When the hell do you close your doors and you still got 500 people online? You think they're coming back tomorrow? Hell no. You know where those 500 people went who uh, were still online at 7 o'clock? And by the way, why would you close at 7 o'clock at night? That's generally when people go out to buy their pot because they're planning to max and relax. Hey, I think we'll kick back and watch Avatar, you know, tonight. Get some munchies, smoke a joint, and we'll go out. We'll get uh, we'll get a few joints, right? Seven o'clock, they closed. They told the five hundred remaining people, "Sorry, we'll see you tomorrow." They're not coming back because you know what they did on their way home? They stopped in Washington Square Park. They stopped in Tompkins Square Park, and they bought their pot there because guess what? They sell it twenty four seven, three six five. I mean, all they had to do was figure this out, but. They were so pretentious, so obstinate, so sure of themselves, like everything in New York. We always think we do it better. You know what they did? 
They didn't uh, Xerox copy the Jersey model because Jersey does it better. When no cash bail was imposed, who did it before New York? Jersey. Has Jersey had anywhere near the problems of New York with no cash bail? No. So you would have thought that Andrew Evilize Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, who authored this as much as he distances himself, said, when I was governor, I had nothing to do with this. He authored this. He pushed it through. You would have thought with no cash bail, you would have said, hey, let's just do it the Jersey way. Let's meet with the elected officials in Jersey, law enforcement, prosecutors. Find out how it's worked, Elvin. No, because naturally, who does it better? New York, wrong. Look at the Michigash, the disaster here with no cash bail. Likewise, Jersey had a jump on us of about a year. They legalized the recreational use and sale of marijuana. They have about 32 licensed stores open from Camden County to Hudson County. They've had some problems. They had to work out a few kinks. But they decided to go corporate first. Before they allow a mom-and-pop shop to open up, before they would allow a guy or a gal who had been busted dealing with nickel and dime bags years ago, they said, no, our, our initial offerings have to be very professionally done. We have to customize it so that the customer gets treated the way you would in a retail store that's competing against five, six, seven other competitors. Not here in New York. Who got the first licenses to sell? People who have dealt drugs before in the street, who never had to deal with a brick-and-mortar retail establishment, never had to pay salaries, never had to pay workman's compensation, never had to pay for insurance. They have no idea how to run this business. And we are going to ultimately end up subsidizing it. 13% tax. Come on. You're begging for the customers to go black market because they're going to undercut you with price. They're going to give you a better product. And they're going to bring it in from California. And already, well, you know, the reason you would come to the New York State License Store is that we do quality control. You know, we're making sure you're getting the product you want. Really? I don't believe any of that nonsense. And by the way, you have customers who have been very satisfied with the drug dealers they've been buying their pot from for many, many years. In fact, they even got home delivery. I know this, oh, pretty soon Grubhub will be delivering your pot from the state license store. Guess what? The whole Pope of Greenwich Village was based on a guy who sat in Tompkins Square Park on the Lower East Side. Tall Jewish guy, gay guy. Really fuddy-duddy-looking guy. Real pissier, Schmendrick. He would just sit there and take your orders. Then he would walk to a nearby storefront, bicycles in there, guys and gals would show up, and he put together, he'd take out the seeds and stems, they had a whole assembly line, and they would deliver the pot all through the Lower East Side. This is in the 60s and 70s. I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I was there, live in person. I did the interviews for Anthony Weiner, who was substituting for uh, Bo Snurley, 4 o'clock, and then came on with the crew on the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion of John Katzmatidis. And I'm telling you, from a business perspective, New York State is not going to make the money that they're telling all of you as taxpayers they're going to make. I believe, ultimately, we're going to have to subsidize this industry that's government-licensed against the competition that has been embedded for years and years and years and years. 
Talk Radio 77 WABC. Spectacular. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off even by lighting up. Oi. From my friends. The star of the show. Oi. Oi. I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oi. This Oi. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help. From my friends, 77 WABC. should be the theme song for George Santos, if that is even his name, Congressman George Santos, apparently hanging out with his uh, sister now, last seen entering uh, her apartment in Elmhurst, Queens, with two Irish terriers and an Hermes bag. I mean, my God, that's like sticking it in everybody's face. But this classic song by Roger Daltrey, Keith Moon, Pete Townsend of The Who, do they ever think, since they're, most of them are alive, that it would ever be applied to this uh, nebbishy, schlubby-looking guy who claims he was from Whitestone, Queens? And so far, to date, nothing, nothing about this guy has turned out to be true. From the time he was birthed to the time he'll be sworn in, which you know that's going to happen on the Hill. I believe it's January 3rd or whereabouts uh, within that time period. And it is a complete embarrassment because uh, it's gotten to the point now where people are of the opinion, if they weren't of the opinion before, that presidents, vice presidents, congressional members lie all the time. Lie all the time. And then I saw the uh, demonstration uh, yesterday and I said, who's that guy in the demonstration there? They were all Democrats. You know, George Santos has to go. And it was the... Talk about Nebishi, Schlubby, the Pischer, the Schmendrick, uh, Robert Zimmerman, his opponent, who had raised over a million dollars to run for that congressional seat that had been vacated by Tom Swazi, who was running in a Democratic primary uh, for the governorship against uh, the sitting governor, Kathy Crimewave Holcomb, and uh, Jumani. Oh, God, I hate uh, cops. And I want to turn all the criminals loose from uh, prison, uh, Jumani Williams, who, by the way, lives in Fort Hamilton, an active army base in Brooklyn underneath the Verrazano Bridge in the garrison. So much so for someone who hates cops and hates prisons, but then again lives in the most secure place in all of the five boroughs of the city of New York. Again, sanctimonious hypocrites. Do as I say, but not as I do. It seems to be the law of politics for both Democrats and Republicans. So here were all these Democrats. Oh, you know, George Santos has to go. I'm on board with that. 
But not one reporter asked any of them. And what about the president of the United States who every freaking week tells a story, a whopper? Every week it's a story and never apologizes when he is corrected. It's almost like we've just accepted it throughout his life when he was much younger, when he didn't have dementia, when he didn't have Alzheimer's. When he, we believe he was in control of his mental faculties, he was making up stories all along. And he got a pass each and every time. So when people come to the defense of George Santos, which as a Republican, I absolutely do not, out with this rascal, out now. But their immediate knee-jerk reaction is, well, look at the president. And by the way, not one of the reporters, I watched the live stream of that demonstration of Democrats against George Santos uh, claiming he's got to go. Uh, not one of the assembled reporters raised their hands and said, hey, hey, Robert Zimmerman, what about uh, the president of the United States, the leader of the Democratic Party, who makes up whoppers every week? Nothing. And by the way, if I had been a reporter there, we should have sent a reporter because I would have told them, ask this question. Uh, Robert Zimmerman, you're complaining, moaning and groaning how unfair, unfair. You were in two debates with George Santos. You never did negative research. You raised over a million dollars. You didn't spend a penny on negative research because all you would have had to do at either of those two debates that he attended, George Santos attended, are you a Jew? Are you a Jew, George Santos? And then the slip and slide would have taken place. Get out of here. Oh, crybabies after the fact. But I will tell you, uh, and I predicted this initially on, because uh, I knew that he had uh, what he claimed was a nonprofit uh, taking care of unwanted dogs. Uh, he had approached me and Nancy. We were at a Republican event. He said, oh, you know, I have a, I have a pet charity myself. Uh, that's good. Stay the hell away from me. I never liked that guy. So now it turns out that he had a Facebook account, a private Facebook account, with an alias, Anthony Zabrowski, a GoFundMe for a pet charity that was not a 501c3, that was not registered. And I'm telling you, out of everything he's done, including the question that was asked to him on Monday night in the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion that has started his slippery slide into the abyss, which was John Katsimatidis. Where'd you get the $700,000 from? And he was humming and uh, stumbling and fumbling and hasn't been able to answer that. When they find out that older women, they predominantly uh, donate to pet charities, when they find out, that older women probably donated to this uh, fake pet charity. Those are the people that George Santos has to worry because they'll show up with pitchforks and torches and they'll want to run them out of town. What a double disgraziata. What a double shanda. But let me tell you something, Democrats. <laughs> you defend the president who's a kyakyaran, a Pinocchio himself. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Kid and friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Question, what does yours truly, Curtis Lewa, have in common with uh, Coho Lip Stephen Tyler of Aerosmith? We were both born on the same day, March 26th, as...
Myers was Diana Ross. Other than that, I have nothing in common with those two. Well, Steven Tyler is just a hot mess. And now all of a sudden, uh, his Elvis Presley ways have come back to haunt him. What do I mean by Elvis Presley ways? The guy was a pedophile on a pedestal. And he's going to have to live with that because the girl that he convinced her parents to give guardianship to him when she was 16 in Oregon and traveled the country. And he was uh, hitting on her and snacking on her uh, for a long, long time and then dumped her. Dumped her. Like, you know, like a, a bad habit. By the way, talk about a guy with bad habits. He's been in and out of rehab more times than our own Sid Rosenberg was. Because, in fact, remember, Sid Rosenberg talks about how he was enrolled in his rehab in Pennsylvania. And as he was being processed in, Stephen Tyler was walking out. Well, Stephen Tyler is in rehab again. He's had problems with booze, drugs, you name it. Also, his lips. He's got coho lips. And that's not collagen and injections. That's how he was born. But he took advantage of what a lot of rock stars have done, which is to be pedophiles. I mean, think back. Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire. By the way, cousin of who? Elvis Presley. Uh, Elvis Presley, when he met uh, Priscilla, right, 14 years old in West Germany, and says to the parents, I want to marry that girl. Yeah, maybe in the three-eyed cousin fornicated trailer parks down south, but hey, pal, you can't do that. He did. So did Jerry Lee Lewis. So did Chuck Berry. So did Michael Jackson, that pedophile on a pedestal. So did R. Kelly. And so did Steven Tyler, except now that young lady that he took advantage of when she was 16 basically took her on as an indentured servant, has come back with a vengeance, and has filed a lawsuit against him, accusing him of a sexual assault, sexual battery, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and man, whatever money he has, he better stuff in the mattress. Now, remember, Steven Tyler is one of our own. What do I mean by that? He went uh, and he lived in North Yonkers for a while, went to Roosevelt High School. A lot of graduates out there. No, no, not the drugstore Roosevelt High School in the Bronx on Fordham Road opposite Fordham University. Roosevelt High School in Yonkers. And you know how he got kicked out for what reason? Smoking marijuana. Think of it, Right? The first legally licensed state pot store opened up in Greenwich Village. And we take it way back to when he was in high school and he got booted for smoking marijuana. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know the rest of that story. Well, the point is, let's see how he figures this out. They'll probably want to settle out of court. But this woman, Julia Holcomb, that he actually wrote about in his memoirs. Yeah, yeah. He said, oh, yeah. Julia, wherever you are. It was the best time of my life, you pedophile on a pedestal. Unbelievable. And all of you out there, you make excuses for these people because they're great performers. Yeah, Elvis, right? Elvis, 14 years old, she was. Priscilla, oh, you know, that was the custom in the South. His cousin, Jerry Lee Lewis, great balls of fire. Chuck Berry, Michael Jackson, R. Kelly. And, of course, Steven Tyler. Oh, well, you know, talented individuals. Yeah, you get out of here. Yeah, I feel like I'm soiled here. I need to take a shower. Hey, Coho Lips, next time I see you in Central Park, saw him a few years ago. He gave me a high five. He said, hey, you know, we're both, we were both birthed on March 26th. 
Pick a different day, pal. Pick a different day. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Get in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. And I figure we play it now before John Katsimatidis gets in. Yeah. You know what, you two classic, this is New Year's Day. Because remember when we played Vertigo yesterday for John Katsimatidis, he said, I don't like that. So we'll get it out of our system. This is New Year's Day. Uh, in fact, on New Year's Day, uh, when the ball drops right before uh, we signal it in, I'll be in Times Square with the Guardian Angels as I am each and every year. Because almost all the people in Times Square are from out of town. They're either from uh, Mexico City or Montreal. They've, they plan their whole year around wearing Depends, being in cattle-restricted cattle, uh, areas, you know, with police uh, barriers keeping them in. And then having horns blown in their ears for hours on end until eventually the ball drops. And then uh, you see that guy uh, on CNN. Who is that? Brian. What the hell is his name again? Anderson Cooper and uh, that Cohen guy that uh, Sid Rosenberg adores, you know, because he watches all those uh, housewife uh, series. Uh, and they're drunk as skunks. And then you have Ryan Seacrest trying to be uh, Dick Clark, American Bandstand. Guess what, Ryan Seacrest? You're milk toast, and you're no Dick Clark, American Bandstand. And everybody has their own now New Year's show, which means you don't have to be watching TV. Because I'm going to get back here, and once the ball has dropped, I'm going to describe to you, just like I described to you the opening of the pot shop, uh, first license in New York State in Greenwich Village. That's the benefit of live and local radio. That's why I love this medium so much because they don't know what's going on. They got the, uh, the white lights. They're way up on top of uh, Times Square. They don't. They, all they do is they see a bunch of tourists down uh, downstairs for hours going crazy. I'll have worked my way in and out of the crowd. I'll tell you how many pickpockets and jostlers there were, how many people were drunk. Had to be picked up and scraped up off the asphalt long before the ball even dropped. And more importantly, take the pulse of a lot of these tourists who have come in for this occasion as to whether they're coming back to New York City again. <laughs> See, live and local radio here at WABC. Maybe I'll play a little more U2. But we're talking about Times Square. I noticed there was a full op-ed piece in the Daily News, uh, I don't know if they can even call themselves the hometown newspaper of New York any longer because, you know, it's uh, so difficult to put that paper out. A hedge fund owns it, and they just don't have the reporters like they used to have. I Look, I know the Daily News. I used to deliver it. 168 dailies each day in Canarsie, 182 on Sundays, and I was the Daily Newspaper Boy of the Year Went out to Washington, D.C. Nixon was president, and he gave me a cheap pen and a tie clip, and I said, this is it. And by the way, when are we getting out of Vietnam? Get him out of here. Say, I was a troublemaker then, and I'm a troublemaker now. But I will tell you this. This was an op-ed piece by former police commissioner three times in New York. First transit police commissioner for David Dinkins. 
Then police commissioner for Rudy Giuliani, his first police commissioner, when he was sworn into office in 1993, and then he came back for Bill de Blasio. So he's been here three times, and he writes an op-ed piece about how there should be a casino in Times Square. And it sounded more like an infomercial because he has the security contract from S.L. Green, which is the company owned by Stephen Green, brother of Mark Green. Oh, my God. Mark Green, who ran for every conceivable office that ever existed in New York State, lost most of them. But he was just an annoying person, Mark Green. And Stephen Green, even though I never met him, he owns a lot of the real estate in Times Square. So, of course, he wants a casino there, right? It's self-serving because half that space is empty now. You want to put a casino, Bill Ratton, in Times Square? That's going to attract even more crime. And he's making the case, no, how it will even make it safer than it is now because right now it's not safe. And he talks about Las Vegas. But he doesn't mention Atlantic City where Frank Morano is, again, I can't say it enough, having a wine and cheese tasting event in Atlantic City. He'd rather be there than WABC. Oof. Uh, keep having your wine and cheese tasting events, Frank. There may not be any WABC for you to return. I, I can't believe these people. Their, their set of choices and priorities are mind-boggling. But anyway, I digress. So he's raving about having a casino in Times Square. That's the last place, Bill Bratton, you want to have a casino. It will attract more crime. Prostitutes go parading up and down, not just the nudistas, you know, the so-called cartoon characters, the illegal aliens who live in Passaic and come over every day to the Port Authority on the uh, New Jersey transit buses and walk around in all kinds of costumes in Times Square next to the naked cowboy and pickpocket and jostle tourists and then the nudistas that paint over their uh, uh, mammary glands, you know, to try to excite the tourists, you actually have prostitutes walking up and down because guess what you don't get arrested for prostitution anymore no when's the last arrest for street walkers whether they were men women or non-binary hmm they don't get arrested anymore can you imagine what Times square will be oh man yeah casinos really dealt with the crime and prostitution in atlantic city every time i've been there i said oh amazing one block away there's the hookers uh, there's the criminals. They're doing drive-by shootings. Yeah, yeah. Bill Bratton, no way to a casino in Times Square. And that would mean, in fact, if they were to get the license, because there are three available state licenses to open up full, all competitive compinos, not the racinos, which are electronic. John Katsimatidis, who will be coming in, he is one of those competing for those licenses. He wants it in Coney Island. Stephen Cohen of the Mets, he wants it out in Flushing. He knows all the Asians, Chinese in the area. Oh, they'll be there, you know, whenever they're not working. And there are some other bids. But I noticed that uh, uh, Bill Bratton doesn't mention uh, that Jay-Z is a partner in this effort with S.L. Green. Ho, 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 ho. But the person that may be providing private security guards would be Phil Banks, who is deputy mayor for the city of New York Public Safety. He's got a bit of a problem on his hands because the MTA, money-taking agency. Good morning, John. Good morning, John. Good morning. Good morning. 
Instead of using cops to stop fare evaders, enough of the music. John is here. He doesn't like you two. Did, did Morano take the newspapers? They can't find the newspapers. Now, guys, scurry outside. Find the newspapers. What are we talking about here? Morano, no, he's too busy with his wine and cheese tasting event in Atlantic City. I'm telling you, John, I, I can't figure this out. These young whippersnappers, if given the choice of being on WABC or tasting wine and cheese in Atlantic City, I think I'd rather be on WABC. But. Phil Banks, who we both know, has a problem. He created a private security firm, and three of the men who were employed to guard the turnstiles ended up knocking out this guy who was coming through the gate, not to enter illegally without paying, but to exit from Long Island. Uh, You can expect a huge lawsuit here. One of them actually ran away. And, John, probably... uh, Probably what's the most disturbing is they had them assigned to 14th Street Union Square where you have a transit police precinct already there. No need to have private security guarding the turnstiles and the gates at a uh, police. You mean he went to competition with Bo Dito? Oh, God. He shouldn't be because, remember, he's the deputy mayor of public safety. So it's very not quite. I'm going to figure it out. But in terms of public safety in the subways, it's a problem. Fair evasion, a huge problem. And, John, you know what elected officials and appointed officials do whenever they can't quite figure out how to deal with a problem. They put together a blue ribbon commission to study fair evasion. You do they take seven of their best friends <laughs> that will never double cross them. And who never rode the subway or never took a city bus. And they're going to figure out how to stop fare evasion. John, when you were a kid, you took the subways, right? You took the city buses. I was 14 years old. I live in Upper Manhattan by City College. And I went all the way to Brooklyn, to Brooklyn Tech High School. And, uh, you know, it was it was, a long, it was an hour ride at least. And uh, right now it would be the toughest uh, ride to take. No doubt. You'd have to run for your life through Fort Greene there, right through Fort Greene Park. And, and my parents didn't didn't worry about it. Nope. And there was no crime in the subways. Nope. So where did we go? Oh, what happened? It's a horror. It's, it's a horror now. If you don't control the turnstiles, <laughs> you don't control those entering the system, you lose control of the system. The fact that we're hiring private security, these men and women, they don't have to go through the same kind of training, the same kind of vetting as the police department does. Makes no sense to me, John. So we'll see how this plays out. The other thing that I think is uh, disturbing is that they still have not come up with a plan to deal with fair evasion, which is arrest them. Put them in the system, even if they get turned loose. Send them to Rikers Island for three days. (laughs) Lose the keys for three days. And guess what? It's not worth uh, not paying the $2.75 to be stuck in Rikers Island for three days. John... They used to do that to me all the time, the cops, the first 13 years. As you know, they didn't like me and the guardian angel, so they'd arrest me. Uh, any trumped-up charges. They'd ship me to Rikers Island. They'd lose my paperwork. It would be like four or five days before they'd find it, and then they'd ship me for arraignment, and then I'd be cut loose. So I had to be out there four or five days. For $2.75, you don't want to be stuck in Rikers Island for three days? No. You don't want to be there for any circumstance because... You're going to have to give whatever you have to whatever gang is controlling that uh, ward that you're assigned to, whether it's C-74, C-76. 
Could be the Bloods, the Crips, Trinitarios, could be MS-13. Man, that place is not run by the correctional department, John. Once it's run you, by the gangs. Totally. They control commissary. They control your phone privilege. You know, every inmate is supposed... Wait, I can't call them inmates any longer. Kathy Crime Don't Wave... Don't use those words. Yeah, Kathy Crime Wave Hochul signed state legislation that we have to refer to them as incarcerated persons. How is that any different than inmates? This is what we spend all our time in Albany doing. Recreate. We can't call them illegal aliens any longer. We have to call them undocumented aliens. How do the Martians feel about it? <laughs> oh, in the next hour, you're the king of retail, right? You've opened up a lot of stores. Too many. Sometimes with good results, sometimes with not so good results, right? Absolutely. What would you say to a retailer who closed their doors with a thousand people still online? How was the old word? Schmuck. <laughs> so who used that word? Was it Alphonse Damato? Uh Yes. And then remember, Chuck Schumer cried and demanded an apology. Whereas I said, double down, double down now. Don't just call him a schmuck, call him a putz. Double down. But in retail... If you got people online at a grand opening, and you put a lot into a grand opening, right? Because I've seen your supermarkets before. You've brought in Kelsey Grammer, right? Kelsey Grammer from Cheers. Kelsey Grammer from Frasier. John Katsimatidis has had Kelsey Grammer come into the stores because he has a microbrew that he makes uh, in Mid-Hudson Valley up there in the Catskills. And, you know, my wife won't even talk to me uh, any longer on that matter, John, because, oh, you didn't let us... You didn't let me know Kelsey Grammer was at, at the Gristides at 84th Street in Columbus. I'll never talk to you again. And there were lines of people, right? I can't, I can't believe it. A thousand people were standing online at the New York State first licensed pot store. They closed at 7. And they said, come back tomorrow. Guess what? They're not coming back tomorrow. After waiting online for four hours. This is like Southwest Airlines. You wait four hours, no flight. Sorry, come back tomorrow. Well, Southwest is really screwed up, I understand. Completely. The latest reports were uh, their computer systems are screwed up. Uh, And where's the CEO? Where's the assistants? Where's the COO? Where's the, you know, uh, the the flight attendants uh, I've been saying, the pilots have been saying, we were never told which airplane, which airport to go to. Let me tell you something. If this were Japan, the CEO would come out. He would open up a little case. It would be the Harry Carey knife. He would apologize. Everybody would bow to him. And then he'd say, I must do the right thing. Right? Absolutely. Although I would never put you in that position, John, uh, no matter how how good the economy is or how bad the economy. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, the Democrats were out demonstrating against George Santos yesterday, John, in Long Island. And none of the reporters, not one of the reporters, I watched the live stream from here, WABC, John. Not one of the reporters would say to any of the Democrats who were there who said, get rid of George Santos. And what about the leader of your party? What about the president of the United States who tells a whopper every week and never apologizes? Never apologizes. You said he said the you're not there as cheerleaders, press corps. You got to ask the tough questions, like they didn't ask yesterday with the grand opening of the first New York State licensed pot store. 
A lot of politicians were there. They were like giggly kids, John. Giggly kids. And I'm saying to myself, what are you doing? Why don't you ask them? We're going to eventually have to subsidize this, John, because they're not going to be able to compete with the black market. Well, the other day we were talking to uh, the head of OTB. Yes. And his predecessor, OTB, went bankrupt. I'll never forget. Can, Can you believe OTB went bankrupt? My God. David How does that happen? David Dinkins appointed Hazel Dukes to run OTB, oh who is the head of the NAACP. Not somebody who is into gaming or horse racing or any, you would think, right? It's like picking somebody to uh, to open up an alcohol establishment, a bar, who is a prohibitionist. It's not going to work. Anyway, you don't want to go anywhere. John Katsimatidis in the house. We're going to take you to 10. It's all live and local programming. We're not like other networks. Best of, which is really worst of. Sid will be back sometime next week. I think uh, he's still uh, digging out of the uh, debris at his house from the pipes. He's underwater. Exactly. Right here on WABC. Spectacular. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Let's kick off the by lighting up Oi. for my friends, the star of the show. Oi, oi. I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oi. This oi. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. 77 WABC. Ah, the theme song. For John Katsimatidis, owner-operator of WABC, great talk show host and producer and booker. Yeah, I mean, you got all four positions covered. And if the floors need sweeping, I will sweep the floors. Then I'll explain this to me, John. Normally, a man who has achieved all you have with your wife, Margot, you jet set. You know, you see Jay-Z, Beyonce, they're out there, out there in Bermuda, Bahamas, Bloomberg, all that. They've jetted away for like 10 days, and then they'll come back and get back into the swing of things. You're here, right, doing talk radio programs in the morning and your program at night, the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion, making news, as you did Monday with the first interview with George Santos. And uh, I guess he hasn't shut his mouth since. He's just talking like a a yent. And our interview the other day with uh, uh, the head of detectives. That's right. I said... That's right. Oh, it's talking about all the children shot and killed. It's the front page of the New York Post today. Yes. All the children in New York City. There's no reason those kids should be dying. John, very simple answer. They're being shot by other children, thugs mostly, or young adults. Stop and frisk. Stop and frisk would stop most of that. Not all of it. I was listening to Dominic the other day, and he had two African-American women. And they were crying because they lost their sons to the system. And they say, why? Why is this happening? Why is our kids dying in the streets? While Albany, while Albany says, oh, no stop and frisk, no, uh, uh, no bail laws, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there's a lot of other serious things we're going to talk about in this program. Uh, what happened yesterday, it looks like the state Senate is going to put the screws to the governor 
on her selection of uh, Lasalle, the Lasalle. first Latino who would be serving it, as the which top is an judge. insult to all the Latinos. And yes. you know, I'm very close to the Latino community. Yes. And you are too. Sure. And uh, we may have David Patterson may uh, call in later to tell us uh, what's, what the heck is going on. But what the heck is going on? And if they, I'll give you the shorts. If they put in, if they overcome a common sense judge and put in a extreme uh, left-wing judge that's going to do their bidding, you're going to have a state that is com- completely controlled by people that don't want, don't want what's best for our state. Another reason the to leave. The Empire State is no longer going to be the no, Empire it's State. It's rusted. It's rusted. Another reason to leave. But notice who's leading the effort, right? A man you know well. He grew up being tutored by Peter Vallone Sr. He was no radical at that time. He's one from your tribe, Generis, who represents that story. He's the state senator. He's the number two most powerful Democrat now in the state Senate. Harvard graduate. Right. He's leading the effort. Now, you know, originally when he first came to you, like they all do to get a political. I went to his wedding. Right. And he was a moderate, right? He was a Peter Vallone moderate Democrat. Peter Vallone moderate. And then he decided, I'm not going to fight AOC. I'm not going to fight all these hipsters and millennials who moved into Astoria. I'm going to capitulate. I'm going to become one of them. And now he's the leader of the mob that is moving New York State further and further left. He's the man standing and saying in the state Senate. And they're crucifying the governor. Yep. And she does nothing. She just. Well, maybe she should take lessons from uh, David Patterson. David Patterson knows what to do. You know, and you, you, you want to know the worst? She's can't, she can't hold the raise against him. You know why? She already signed it. Yep. So she gave him the raise, and then they crucified her. Right. Not only that, they insisted on the raise before the start of the new year. Thursday, they negotiated it in Albany, when she should have been in Buffalo, where all of a sudden the emergency preparation was taking place, distracted because of that nonsense. But you're right. You're already there. You say this is a quid pro quo. You want the raise? I get the moderate Democrat Last night judge. on the 5 o'clock show, we had John... Sheriff John Garcia uh, from Erie County that uh, manages Buffalo. Yep. And he is sick to his stomach with the, what went on. I think the 39 or 40 people have died already. I mean, it's just, it should not have happened. Not at all. And uh, look, as much as you know, I've been a critic of Andrew Cuomo. Every time he would mobilize the National Guard in advance. And always, sometimes it wasn't necessary. He would say Better safe than sorry. Pataki did the same thing. Better safe than sorry. This was in Hochul's backyard. She grew up in Erie County, Buffalo. You know, she says, oh, I can see the province of Ontario, Canada, outside of my uh, uh, kitchen uh, window, which is true. That That's her hometown. And she allowed all that nonsense in Albany to distract her instead of immediately getting on a helicopter and going into Erie County and taking charge of the state emergency management and making sure that the guard were in place. Because by noon Friday, John, the snows had hit, the blizzard had started. There was no turning back. There was no way all of a sudden going to mobilize the National Guard. How were they supposed to get into place? And then remember what followed, the looting and shooting. Uh, Police vehicles couldn't even 
pass in the streets of Buffalo. Fire department, emergency uh, service vehicles couldn't even pass. But you know what the looters did? They stole snowmobiles and they're going up and down the streets, looting stores at random, lifting up the loot and shooting in the air. Total lawlessness, total chaos. Another reason for people in Western New York to say that's it, we're moving. We're out of here. It's just we keep doing this to ourselves. Why live in Buffalo if you can get 77 inches of snow uh, and, and, and have lawlessness? And yet, in the surrounding suburbs, John, Cheektowaga, Tonawanda, Amherst, Lockport, not even a loaf of bread AOC stolen out of a 7-Eleven. Not even an oldie moldy uh, five-day-old loaf of bread that was still on the shelf. Anyway, though, uh, if I can, uh, I want to ask you about Southwest Airlines. A lot of people don't realize it, John, out of the many uh, ventures you were in throughout your life to get you to the point where you are now was a billionaire and you did it the hard way. You know, you didn't have two nickels to rub together. You owned an airline at one point, didn't you? Absolutely. Uh, we owned it in, uh, I think, 1983 and 1984. And uh, I was headquartered out of Nashville or Smyrna, Tennessee, a suburb of Na- of Nashville. And Nashville was a gr- I lived there for two years. And uh, one great city. No doubt. And who was your partner in that venture or your lawyer, your lawyer in that venture? Well, Nelson Happy right. uh, was there with me. From Kansas. Uh, from Kansas. And uh, uh, didn't you have also the guy who eventually was on law and order as the DA and ran for president? Oh, he was on our board of directors. What was his name? The senator, the U.S. senator. Oh, yeah. And by the way, uh, uh, Thompson. Right. Uh, Fred, Fred Thompson. Thompson. Right. And he was on our board of directors. The thing that I marveled about Fred Thompson, although obviously people question his work ethic, because you go out on the campaign trail, you got to do it 24-7. He wasn't that. He had the pickup truck. Remember, he drove the pickup truck around? Yes. Every woman he had ever been involved with, whether he married them, whether they were his girlfriends, and he had many. He's a handsome man and obviously a charmer and great personality. They all had nothing but good things to say about him. John, that, that's like a miracle. A miracle. Every one of them said, look, we couldn't get along. It didn't work out. But, boy, this guy's top-shelf five-star is a great guy. Well, we worked out of Smyrna, Tennessee, which was about uh, 10 miles from Nashville because it's the big base there that was the base of operations for Capital Airlines. Oh, you went in Capital. Capital Airlines. And we were worldwide. Uh, Caribbean was a big uh, operation for us, uh, West Coast, uh, uh, Europe. Uh, we had the exclusive landing rights for Tel Aviv. I could tell you stories about that. Now, how did you get the exclusive landing rights? Were you charging $99 for flights back then? Because that was very competitive. Uh, Jimmy Carter had deregulated the airline industry, right? Uh, it was a deregulation, but we were charging a decent price, and, and the exclusive landing rights were two airlines, Capital Airlines, my airline, and uh, Total, uh, what, what was it, Total? Total or World Airlines? Right? No, no, there was a Total or something. Uh, gee, I mean, that's 40 years ago. I'm starting to forget. And the flights would leave from where? In- JFK. Right. Uh, half the British Airways terminal was ours. Wow. And... Um, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, we didn't get had, uh, our catering one night did not get delivered for some reason to JFK. Mm. 
And there was a, a flight leaving for Tel Aviv. And there was 200 people there because there was a, a DC-8. I think the capacity was 240 people. Uh, they wanted to go. I said, there's no food. So what do we do? You know, I'm a, I, you know, I, I improvise. Yes. I send the uh, uh, station manager uh, to McDonald's, buys 240 <laughs> Big Macs or hamburgers, whatever he bought. And the Israelis, the Jews, they were happy. Yeah. They just wanted to get to Tel Aviv. And instead of canceling the flight, instead of uh, uh, finding a reason uh, not to fly, see, I find a, I try to find solutions. And that flight took off, and there was not one complaint. Wow. <laughs> they, they loved the hamburgers. Mickey D's. Mickey D's. So you used and the flight went on. The Donald Trump approach. Remember when he was president of the White House, sometimes he would serve fast food. And people would say, how can you serve fast food? He said, because I love fast food. And if I love fast food, everybody's going to love fast food. But you're right. People don't complain. No. Now, in this situation with Southwest Airlines, a week of chaos. Uh, they've been threatened by Buttigieg, the transportation secretary. He's told the CEO, you're going to face consequences. What can they do to Southwest Airlines? Oh, they can penalize them. But if they're broke already, what are you going to make them broker? And not only that, you know, back when you were running uh, the two airlines, uh, other than, uh, I'm sure, El Al, uh, the Israeli airline yeah, was, it was running. Three, right? uh, three airlines. Uh, El Al was running. Capital Airlines was running. And Total, was it? Total. I think so. I think so. But anyway, the point being is, is that there was a lot more competition back then. A lot of smaller airlines that eventually were consolidated. There aren't that many airlines left. So what do you do to Southwest? You say to them, oh, we're going to. I think they need some better management. Uh, They're really screwed up. First of all, to have these poor people waiting at the airport for six hours, seven hours. I mean, there's there's no reason for that. They knew they were screwed up. They knew they were screwed up, and they should have made an announcement and not had those people just suffering and waiting there for six hours. Well, remember, back in uh, June, right after the spring break, our own Bill Riley, O'Reilly, came on and said, hey, look, you know, I was going for my yearly vacation with all my buddies that I went to high school with at Chaminade, and I went to JetBlue Terminal and JFK, and they kept giving us no reasons as to why the plane would not leave. And finally, you know how Bill O'Reilly is. He's rambunctious. He went up there and he started arguing with everyone. And at that time, remember, people would say, oh, come on, Bill O'Reilly. Hold your horses. Well, what are you getting all angry at? He actually led the wave. He was, uh, in essence, Nostradamus predicting that these airlines are not prepared in many instances to deal with the return of the crush of airline travelers because now we're back, we're getting back to normalcy now. We're getting back to what's, what's worse. What's worse, that a lot of people got, the plane finally took off and they got to their location, no luggage. Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, whenever I have to, once in a while I have to fly commercial. You know what I do? I don't check my luggage. I just travel light. Keep it in the overhead uh, because once you check your luggage, that's one more thing that can go wrong. Oh, that that was Paul Carlucci taught me that. Johnny Legit, he said, no, never stow away the luggage underneath. 
Because first of all, you wait forever, and it may not be there. Just travel light, take it right off the top, walk right out. Absolutely. No, do not check your luggage. Don't, you know I mean? Some of these people travel oh like, my you know. God, like they're going to be away for a year. Yeah. And then they wait for two days, three days, and it's like they're schlepping all this luggage. And then they wonder. There was one time I had to head to Hawaii, Honolulu. I had a graduation of Guardian Angels. So it was a Friday. And I had to be back Monday in order to do the program in the morning, WABC. The only route that could get me there and back, because I only spent a day there, I had to fly through Oakland. Now, you do not want to be flying to Oakland with any luggage, right? So, again, I used the Johnny Legit, Paul Carlucci approach, your approach. Didn't carry anything overhead. All the luggage that was in Oakland, because he had a transfer there to Hawaii, stolen. Stolen. All these people were like, what happened to my luggage? Well, these guys came in, you know, and they took the luggage. What do you mean they took the luggage? At gunpoint. They took the luggage. Because normally you're flying to SFX, San Francisco International Airport. Oakland Airport. Let me tell you, Capital Airlines, you ready for this? Yes. Uh, uh, The airport at San Juan was run, I I won't remember the names, it's 40 years ago. By a bunch of crooks, <laughs> they were running the airport. They 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 were in control. The FBI reported to them. I mean, they, <laughs> they, they were real, real, you know, and they were running the baggage. And one day we had two hundred and forty passengers coming in from from uh, uh, Puerto Rico from San Juan. We used to fly to San Juan in Barinquin, and uh, and. These people had to get their 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 stuff to Puerto Rico to to New York. Their their um, uh, some what, what do you call it? Uh, it wasn't luggage. It was uh, some cargo. Cargo, yes. So you know, the guy who was running it, the cargo went. The luggage didn't go. <laughs> now you want to get to you want to get to to, to Capital Airlines uh, terminal. There was two hundred and forty angry Puerto Ricans. Oh and man! I, I had to go there to solve the problem. Wow, well, that's something that this CEO of Southwest has not done. He has not gone to any of the terminals. He has not talked to any of the passengers. That would have been the better approach. Anyway, we're substituting for Sid Rosenberg. God only knows when uh, the rest of our folks are going to get back here. When when do we get back to a, a normal schedule here, John? God knows. I mean, are they are they going to take Monday as a holiday? I think they are, John. Jesus Christ. What is this? It's like, do they not cherish broadcasting on WABC? Well, you know. You know what? As I say, John, if they give up that talk time real estate, I'm here to foreclose on them as you are too, John. You never know. Be uh, uh, Curtis and Katz. That's right. Uh, As we take you to the 10 o'clock hour, uh, up next... We got to talk a little about about these kids getting shot and killed in the streets of New York. And uh, how you had that exclusive interview that led to today's front page featured article in the New York Post. Uh, John Katzmatidis leads with the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion. And in this case, the New York Post followed exclusively here at WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Shit and friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Uh, 
God. I mean, that every radio station plays that song. Come on. I mean, come on. What the hell is this? Please, you're insulting us. You have John Katzmatidis here. You have yours truly, Curtis Lee. This is not any old oldie moldy station. This is WABC, the number one news talk station in the nation. We want Cousin Brucey-style songs. We want Joe Piscopo-style songs. We want songs that are going to make us feel good. Yeah, exactly. It's New Year's. It's New Year's uh, weekend. We want to feel good. That's right. Well, but see, you they know, don't, these young huckleberries, they don't understand this. They're like, play whatever's there. Yeah, know? me and Curtis don't smoke pot. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, exactly. You know. Although I got to tell you, boy, were they offering me yesterday, and they say, well, if I do, I'll do a Bill Clinton. I won't inhale. Yeah. And they all had a big laugh, John. They were laughing because they had already been sampling the product. <laughs> we'll talk about that momentarily, but let's get... Right into the front page headlines of the New York Post, which was based on the interview you had with the chief of detectives of the city of New York last night on the five o'clock roundtable discussion. It made you want to cry as he discussed all the teenagers being shot and killed in New York City by other teenagers. I bring one to your attention, which is going to spin your head, John. Where I started the Guardian Angels in 1979 is night manager of East Fordham Road. A 17-year-old thugette, a female, pulls out a gun with her other female thugette who's 16. And they're chasing two males down the block, 14 and 15. And they shoot both. One dies, one is injured. In all your time here in New York City, in all my time, I've never heard of anything like that where... Young females are carrying guns and chasing men and young boys. And young boys are running away and they're shooting the young boys. It's crazy. You know, remember when we were growing up, there was a comic book called Bizarro Comics? Oh, yeah, Bizarro. Well, this is Bizarro Comics. This is this. uh, Growing up in New York, New York being the greatest city in the world, I would never think we would come to this spot. Now, who... Made us come to this spot. Why are we allowing these people to do this to us? Not only that, teenagers we know are rambunctious. Teenagers are rebellious. They challenge authority. They challenge whoever it is that's raising them in their homes. It's a difficult time for adults to deal with teenagers. But you can't capitulate to them. So, for instance, John, I see two teenagers walking down the block and they have a fanny pack on. Remember, it was very traditional in the 70s. You have a fanny pack in front, and you would store things right in the fanny. Now they wear it across their shoulder. Right away, you know they got a gun. They got a clip in there. They got money. They got drugs. And the cops have been told, as street smart as they are, don't stop them and don't frisk them. So they brazenly carry this right in front of them. And when they see their victim or their adversary... They don't have to reach too far. They don't have to reach into a jacket. They don't have to reach into their pants. They just pull this 9 millimeter out that's fully loaded with a clip. They got another clip to go, and they just start firing. It doesn't matter how many people are in the streets. The cops, they have the instinct. Many of them are street smart. They know damn well these teenagers are packing guns, are carrying drugs, and they got money on them. Like they got what we call a Philly roll, $100 on top and single dollars underneath. And if you let cops be cops, they would stop them. They put them up against the wall. They'd search them. They'd get those guns off the street. They'd get those drugs off the street. They won't let them do it, John. They won't let them stop and frisk. 
That is that is an incredible shame, and would have saved a lot of these. Really, they're children. We're, we're talking 14, 15, 16 years old. Children killing children. And everybody says, well, you know, it is what it is. Murders are down. Shootings are down. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. <laughs> but when, when we know there's something that works out there, stop and frisk, when used appropriately, it can save lives. It can lock up real criminals. Why wouldn't you do that? Why would you say, no, 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 that's a violation of their rights? Children, teenagers, since when do they dictate to adults what goes on in society? They're already telling their their mother what what goes on. They rule the roost. Daddy's usually not around, right, except on uh, check day. You know, daddy all of a sudden shows up, instantaneous daddy. And you say, well, why isn't daddy at home? You may not want that daddy at home with the kid. The kid is already corrupted enough. And then you're just going to let them do whatever they want, running the streets, going into stores, shoplifting. You've seen some of these brazen acts where they smash and grab in a jewelry store. He's a teenager. Dominic Carter was telling a story last night that, uh, you know, he had members of his family. He had a brand new typewriter. And his uncle would, would show up. And his grandmother was protecting Dominic and protecting uh, the assets of the, the home. And then when he came home, his typewriter was gone. Yeah. Not not at all uncommon, John. It it just, listen, Harlem was a very safe place. I grew up walking through Harlem. You know when Harlem went bad? When some of those kids came back from Vietnam. Mm. So Vietnam not only hurt people that died there, 58,000 people or something died there. Yes. Not only... Did we lose those? But we lost some of the neighborhoods because some of the people came back and their heads were not on straight. And the drugs. The drugs that drugs. were being brought back in body bags. Drugs, drugs from Vietnam. That's, they punished us in that way. They, they made all our soldiers drug addicts. Well, not all, but a lot of them. And you know why China is doing fentanyl? They're punishing us. For the opioid uh, wars, where we we drugged their people, you know, Chinese think a long way. What was it? Eighty years ago, easily, when easily. when we were uh, who were which family was the one feeding them opioids? Oh, the FDR, the Roosevelt family, American side. The English were doing it. The Germans, the Russians, everybody. That's well, why you had Steve McQueen even. in Sand Pebbles. They're getting even. Yep. Okay. They're making our people with fentanyl. They're making, they're killing them, making them drug addicts. And the thing I said yesterday about the store opening and uh, you know, we're making them a bunch of dope addicts. Well, you know, I don't mean to say it like that, but but the the, the story is from the age and talk to neurologists, talk to doctors from the age of of twelve to to twenty six. That if you're doing uh, marijuana, it affects the the uh, the longevity of your brain. And don't talk to me. I don't. I, you know, maybe we'll get one, a neurologist on sometime to talk about it. Uh, and uh, uh, it really hurts them. So you're opening it up at NYU. You're going to drop the IQ by 15 points. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I mean, they, they're getting even with us. You know, I hate to. 
keep saying the Chinese. It's not the Chinese. It's the Chinese government well, that's on a, up, a, a war with our, with our government. Up next, I want to describe for you the place where you went to school, NYU, what I saw yesterday. And now you'll see why we're in such dire circumstances, because it's not just the legal license pot store selling it all over openly, brazenly in everybody's face. And it's almost like the NYPD has been told, don't do anything with all those people there yesterday. John, I didn't see one uniform cop because they were told stay out of the area. Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Little stylistics, all right. That's pretty good music. This is Tony Orlando. This is the, you know, Tony Orlando paid me, he and his brother. Tremendous compliment, uh, as we do. We do the pass-off. He does 10 to 12 Saturdays, and then I start Sunday morning, 12 to 6. He had two hours the other week, John, what they call yacht music. I never heard that before. He played so many classics, so well done. I couldn't get any work done for two hours. I was like, wow. So I took So it. what are we doing this weekend? I mean, we, we got New Year's Eve is yeah. Saturday night. Well, uh, you have uh, Cousin Brucey, 6 to 10. Before that, Vinny Madunio. Then from 10 to 12, Tony Orlando, his brother. And then... And who's doing the drop of the ball? You are? I believe I am doing the drop. Oh, actually, I think Tony Orlando, because he's right at 12, remember? He's yeah. right at 12. Yeah. He does the pass off to me. But well, you I, better call him and find out. I'll be in Times Square with the Guardian Angels. We're there every year, but I'll get back in time. Uh, but I'll be able to describe everybody what's going the on. The good news is they're projecting 50-degree weather. That is correct. Uh, and it's all tourists. I can tell you, having been there every year, you find nobody from New York City there other than if they have to work there. All tourists. Mexico City, Montreal, they plan their whole year to come down there. They're wearing Depends. They're blowing horns. Now, imagine, John, you're stuck seven hours in a cattle pen because you can't leave. You leave. It's like us saying, let's go to Paris for New Year's, and we want to watch the Eiffel Tower. See, it's all mentality. Yeah. New York is the greatest city in the world, and that's why they want to come here. But uh, New, New, New Yorkers won't put up with that. Seven hours, you got to wear the pens, and somebody's blowing a horn in your ear for seven hours. Now, I understand we have a, a gentleman <laughs> that I met. Uh, his name is John Cole, and uh, he's a, a part genius, a part... Uh, 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 he, he cares about our country, cares about uh, our food supply, cares about our energy supply. And um, uh, l- let's see what he has to say. Uh, John Cole, are you there? I am here. We're uh, here. Mr. Yes. Yeah, you're, you're here with me and Curtis. It's easier to say Curtis and Katsimatidis. <laughs> okay, yeah. So how about, is this actually Curtis Sliwa? The uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the myth, the myth. Yes, yes. but it does exist. <laughs> that is correct. You were, you were one of my idols in the eighties when I was studying martial arts. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Now I, I, you have a lot of concerns. I get a lot of emails from you, and 
Uh, you have yes. concerns about our grid system. You have concerns about our food system. And, we're, we're, you know, we're going into New Year's. Tell us, what is your concerns right now? The, the biggest concern I have is that we in America have no food security. Okay, and most Americans aren't aware of that because we we just go to the store and the food's always there. Food security is a mixture of food production and food accessibility. In our system, our accessibility is delivered by a just-in-time delivery system um, throughout the world. And so if we actually look at it, if our supply chain collapses, us, especially us in the um, in the New York area and the East Coast, no longer have food delivered. You know those days when the um, you know when the uh, dairy was around the corner are gone. Now, the average unit of food in America is delivered about one thousand five hundred. Fifty percent of our food is imported. So if we lose our supply chain, we lose that fifty percent imported. Of the 50% we grow, the vast majority is west of the Mississippi, and it's delivered just in time to New York. New York takes in 400 uh, million tons of cargo, 90% by truck. And and cats, you know, you're a genius in 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 oil and and petroleum. What happens when that stops? Right? You have eight million people living on um, on the uh, um, in New York City on the island. That, that food has to move, you know, well for for eight million people not to have a problem. That's correct, and we have we have approximately uh, approximately a two week delay. If the system breaks, we have to fix it within two two weeks before the majority of Americans run out of food. And and there's the there's the problem. We don't have enough local food grown that we could could supply regional population centers if the system breaks. Now, unfortunately, our system is so easy to break that our enemies know it. Very easy to break it. Now, lately, and one of our other hosts, uh, he's on my five o'clock hour, uh, Deputy Mayor Rudy Washington has been pointing out a lot of facility, food facilities around the country have been burning down, uh, planes crashing into them. Have you heard about that? I have, and we've been monitoring it. It's very difficult to find out what the total percentage is. But, yes, we've seen over 100 events uh, in, in America alone of, of uh, food production facilities basically going offline. Right? And, and if we actually take a global look at it, the largest bread baskets um, would, would be one is the American mid, uh, Midwest, which is going through a three-year drought, and this is this is um, this is severely affecting uh, our crops. But but think about it this way: we've had weather manipulation since uh, Vietnam, right? And so uh, why is it that we're not making rain? in a drought situation when we have the uh, the ability to do so. So somebody is manipulating this. And then the, the next biggest breadbasket is Ukraine. Ukraine is a huge breadbasket for Europe, right? And, of course, that's at war and is shut down. And then we get to Holland, which uh, produces about 20% of 
Europe's food. The Dutch are incredibly industrious on, on farming. And the Dutch government is uh, closing down 3,000 farms, claiming that uh, they have to reduce the nitrogen um, for climate change. And their, their goal is to close down 17,000 farms, 30% of the farming. So, so there is an attack on food production. Now, John, um, I was over in Israel. There were two things that struck me years ago. I was there for the second intifada, so nobody was there. It's like no tourists were there at all. So I had the run of the country from the Golan Heights down to a lot. Stopped in Bethlehem, and I oversaw the valley. And one of the Christian uh, Palestinians explained to me, he said, you know, Curtis, when I was a boy and grew up there, that was a desert. It was nothing now there are orchards. Uh, as far as the eye could see, it was plentiful with citrus. Are we going to have to start reverting to those ways of turning desert areas, which are massive now all over the world and growing like every day, uh, into what I saw uh, atop of Bethlehem? I would say, yes, our technology is the point where we can do do a lot of things to improve um, uh Food production, and of course, the Israelis are are, are quite genius at it, um, turning desert into farmland. Um, but but for us in the city areas, we have to put up what I would call um, um, a, a stunning amount of small, sustainable, EMP-proof farms, so that we have twenty percent of our food grown locally. If we have 20% of our food grown locally and the systems break, we still survive until we can fix the system. But right now, if the systems break, you have two weeks. Well, we saw, John, Detroit, uh, because of all the devastation there, I mean, it was just a, a hulk of a city. At one time, it was uh, it was not a city of public housing projects. It was a city of private homes and then just empty, abandoned lots. And they said that they were going to turn it into urban farmland. Is that practical and pragmatic? Um, I would say it, uh, the big picture, no. Um, you can do spot farmlands. And, for instance, we, we are watching the entire change in our, um, in our uh, retail purchasing with um, uh, shopping malls going bankrupt. You can easily turn those into hydroponic uh, farms. And, and of course, they're centrally located, which is ideally where you want your food production. So there are many opportunities, but it has to go to the capitalists um, because it's always an investment. And unfortunately, you know, we, we kind of look at the government to say, well, uh, hey, we have a problem. We don't have food security, except for the government. Well, my personal opinion can't really fix much of anything except for um, <laughs> corruption. They, they, they create it quite nicely. Can the uh, old-fashioned kibbutz of Israel, which was created by the socialists, the left-wingers, be expanded and actually work to the benefit, especially of third-world countries? Absolutely. And you can actually modify that, Curtis, where you make it a capitalistic kibbutz. Mm. Okay. You take the concept of how to work together, but you have to put it into a capitalistic formula. We're capitalists, so we have to make a profit at this. If we don't, it, it fails, okay? 
So, yes, you take a kibbutz concept and you turn it into capitalism and a cash flow. And I could easily see how they could be the feeder system, especially in third world countries and first world countries, uh, what you call that dearth, you know, where now you have these huge agro farms way out where there's no population, but they're so far from urban areas. That, that's correct. In other words, um, you know, it's, it's uh, economics of scale, and we are the same. We have these massive farms that are producing. Uh, back in the 1950s, we had a very incredible and very strong what's called food grid. We had thousands, millions of small farms and some big farms, and those got taken apart over the last 40 years for a combination of different reasons. So we have to recreate that. Now, John, the Red Chinese are buying up a lot of farmland. They're paying a premium price, premium price, so that if you have a um, family farm and you, you realize your sons and daughters, they don't want to inherit it. They they moved on to other things. Or it's even an industrial uh, agricultural farm. And, and the bank is about to foreclose. Right. Uh, the Red Chinese are coming in, and they're buying up massive acreage and farming products. Now they say they're doing it for their own people because they got a million, excuse me, a billion and a half people. They got to feed them. But is, do you think that's really their goal? Oh, I think that's definitely their goal is to capture our farmland. We have the most productive farmland in the in the in the the, the globe, and 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 I'm facing that exact situation where I'm the last generation that wants a farm. And I'm at 66, so I have to figure out an exit. And the exit is to create an investment corporation that takes it over. And my neighbor farm just got sold to the Chinese. You know, and, and your and so, neighbor's yeah. farm in New Jersey got sold to the Chinese. Yes. How big of a farm? Well, this was uh, 67 acres. And, is and, it, and was it a? A, a corporate Chinese, or was it just a, a Chinese family? That's Chinese family. Okay. Hmm. And, and so, so what happens is, you know, you can produce a stunning amount of food on a fifty-acre farm. Stunning, right? The, 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 but but you're putting what the the farmer has to deal with now. Not only does he have to deal with basic farming and Mother Nature, he has to deal with taxation. Um, um, uh, let's say um, uh, how to fund everything. And now the government, you know, our government keeps on putting on more and more uh, administrative uh, um, issues on small farms, right? They're killing the small farmer. Well, I think I have a, a remedy for that. I want to thank you, John Cole, uh, for your information uh, and then uh, keep obviously alerting everybody out there. I have the answer, John. It just came to me. Tell me. One of the greatest TV programs of all times. They lived on Park Avenue. Green Acres. Green Acres is the place to be. You and Marco, right? Remember, it was uh, Ava Gabor, right? No. Not Java Java. No. Uh, you could, uh, you and uh, Marco. Go, go up to, you know. Up to upstate New York, it's all That's empty. It. We can buy it for nothing. And just think, there'd be an Arnold Ziffel up there. There'd be a little uh, county uh, county store where you get your mail there. You know something? I, I still enjoy watching those shows once in a while. Yeah, but imagine it was all based on a wealthy man. I have a choice of uh, of going up there and buying a farm 
or going up to Vermont and buying uh, Bob Newhart's uh, motel. Whoa, Bob's got it on the market. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, know, you relax, and once in a while somebody comes in, there's no mortgage on it, and so somebody comes in and just rents a room. Is that on Lake Superior there? I don't know. You know who lives right next door, I think. Who? Bernie the Altacaca Sanders. He got his summer home there. People asked him, where'd you get the money for this, Bernie? How did you pay for this exotic summer home on Lake Superior? Yeah. Well, John Cole, thank you for coming on, and we'll talk to you again real soon. You okay. Got- thank you, gentlemen. Take care. Do you ever think, look, Ava Gabor, right, how exotic she was? You're the successful Park Avenue business guy. You take uh, Margot up there, Green Acres. It's the place to be. Fun do, we, do we have the song? Where's the song? Yeah, come on, come on. You see these? What is that? This is not Green Acres. Oh, my, my God. God. These hipsters and millennials, you know, they're so excited uh, about reading about the new pot store that opened up in Greenwich Village there. Ooh. ooh, ooh. Yeah, there it is. There it is. That pump up the volume here. Here it is, John, you and Margo, another venture of yours, whether it's Vermont or upstate New York. Just give me that countryside. You see that? So many things going on. There's a big problem in in uh, Albany. And David, Governor David Patterson is going to come on at uh, 8.05 to talk about it. I mean, uh, the state Senate has uh, Governor Hochul hostage. And they're not going to vote for her uh, uh, candidate for for judge. And a man standing in the way used to be a moderate Democrat in Astoria, trained by Peter Valone Sr. You went to his wedding, and now he's he's joined AOC, all our crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and the Democratic Socialists of America, State Senator Janaris. We'll get to that and so much more. This is the place you want to be, WABC. Who knows? It could be John and Margot up there in Vermont doing green acres. It's certainly green up there in Vermont, one of the greenest states. Yeah, but it's colder up there. Yeah, but you can have a gun up there. It's a Second Amendment state, even though they got a lot of liberals and progressives. They all have guns. Talk Radio 77. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. What you say? Be your best friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Now, that's beautiful music. Yes. I, I think even Governor Patterson loves that music. What do you think, Governor? I think it's very, very nice. Yeah. I mean, it, it just it just makes you feel good. Now, Governor, on the line with us is Governor Patterson. And uh, yesterday, Albany, there was a big problem. Would you tell our audience, maybe you start from the beginning, what the heck is going on in Albany? So, John, the 
highest court in the United States is the United States Supreme Court. Of course, that's the federal court. Each state, uh, most states, their highest court is called the state Supreme Court. New York is different. The state Supreme Court in New York has two levels of judiciary higher than it is. One is called the appellate division. That's if you don't like what happened in the state Supreme Court, you go there. And then the final arbiter is a seven-member panel known as the New York State um, Appellate Division. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the New York State Court of Appeals. The New York State Court of Appeals. That uh, body is run by a chief judge, just like the United States Supreme Court. They don't have more than one vote, but they are the convener. And Governor Hochul was filling a vacancy that occurred when the spitting um, uh, chief judge of the Court of Appeals, Janet D. Fiore, decided to retire. And she did she decide to retire or was she pushed out because uh, uh, what's your just opinion? I think that uh, uh, Chief Judge DeFiori and her cohorts were certainly uh, not even really middle of the road. They were veering to the right, and I think a lot of the members didn't like that. And just like in Washington, when the Republicans blocked the nomination of President Obama in his last year, they decided to uh, uh, not be particularly cooperative, and, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they will want to judge Deep Fury to leave. So now, so now that explain that, uh, Governor they, Patterson. They replace her with a, 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 a man named Hector LaSalle. He's from Suffolk County. Uh, it would be the first Hispanic judge on the Court of Appeals. And, uh, Curtis, you wanted to ask me something. No, no, continue. Describe who this gentleman is and how important it would be, what a precedent it would set uh, in terms of for the Latino community, because they've never had a statewide official. They've never had a statewide official. They've never had a citywide official. Uh, The highest any person of uh, Latino origin has ever gotten is borough president. And so... Uh, It would accomplish exactly that. There are some decisions he's made that uh, 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 former Republican chair Ed Cox on uh, Cats at Night yesterday pointed out were made for reasons related to process and not were decided based on sort of a political alignment. And what is uh, interesting in this situation is. Usually, people declare how they're going to vote after the process. In other words, have a hearing, have him sit down, grill him if you have to, and find out where he's really coming from. In this particular case, 12 Democratic state senators have said that they don't want to vote for him without hearing from him. Now, there are 42 Democrats in the Senate, 21 Republicans. So the Democrats have a two-thirds majority. They can override a veto. And if 12 of them, as it is now, aren't going to vote for her, they have um, that would leave them with 30, which is under the number that they need to confirm. So these 12 have a pivotal vote here. 
Now, what about the unions? Because they seem to, uh, they're the strongest vanguard in trying to deny uh, the governor her choice. So what do these unions object to and why do they have so much power in this process? Well, uh, Governor Hochul took office on August 24th of 2021. So, uh, you know, she ran for election in November 2022, so she's only been there about a year. And I think that the unions have been supportive of her. I don't think all of her points of view are uh, coincide with theirs, but they were willing to support her. And when she got into trouble, when the polls tightened in September, October of last year, they really pitched in and fought hard to help get her the victory. And I think they feel that the first thing she does is to appoint a judge who they think is not pro-labor. That's not going over very well with them. And that's part of what's motivating the 12 senators and probably nine or 10 others who haven't gone on the record but feel the same way. Now, this generous character who had a press conference yesterday used to be the student of Peter Vallone Sr., came out of the moderate wing of the Democratic Party, realized he would have a battle to keep his seat, so he decided to join AOC and the Democrat Socialists of America. How could they let a guy like this? First of all, he has stopped uh, the change of no cash bail. He said, that's dead on arrival. And he's saying that this judge is dead on arrival. Who the hell is, who dropped dead and left him in charge? Well, he has a very prominent role. He really was the driving force that made Andrea Stewart-Cousins the majority leader. First, she was the Senate minority leader. Then she became uh, the first woman majority leader in New York State a few years ago. But he's always had a prominent role in her administration. And uh, he's uh, taking a strong position on this issue. And it's it's fascinating because um, my father, Basil Patterson, served on the Judicial Nominating Committee with uh, Ed Cox. And one of the things that Ed said last night that was absolutely true is this was one of the processes in Albany that never really became political. They really tried to pick who the academicians were as judges and how They ruled based on the law, not based on their political affiliation. I mean, there were some comments last night on our show that, oh, you can't have too many lefties on the court, blah, blah, blah. Listen, President Trump, I probably think, has too many right, had too many righties on the United States Supreme Court. But guess what? He's the president. He can nominate them. And they got um, approved by the Senate. So you can do that. But the, the reality is that in this particular situation, um, it would take um, those 12 judges not voting for her to to stop it. We would assume that the 21 Republican senators would vote for Mr. LaSalle, because you're right, Curtis, he would certainly be more middle of the road or even slanting a little to the right than anyone who would be selected should he is his nomination not be confirmed. Now, you were a governor who at times would have to call up the National Guard. We saw Andrew Cuomo do that. We saw George Pataki do that. 
How is it that Governor Hochul, in her own backyard of Erie County, where she claimed she could see the province of Ontario, Canada, through her kitchen window, did not call up the National Guard in time and look at this disaster in her own backyard? Well, I have a little bit of a different opinion, I think, than everyone else's. I heard her talking about the potential of this storm and what the state was doing to be ready uh, back before the storm occurred. Some people are saying that she didn't do anything until 40 minutes before the the storm occurred. But I'm very sure of what what I heard last week. You know, there are just some times, and this is, I think, one of them, where the weather was a whole lot worse than they ever thought it would be. And they had some issues related to the freezing of the lake and uh, the wind that complicated this particular storm that I think, you know, I'm usually not, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, I'm usually not critical of a public servant unless they just weren't there. In other words, that they were not in that particular area at the time to address the issue. Well, let me be specific, Governor Patterson. So the snow and the blizzard conditions are hitting Buffalo at 12 noon Friday. I mean, horrific conditions. The governor decided on Saturday to get in the helicopter and come down to New York City to look at the flooding in the Rockaways. Flew right back, didn't go to Buffalo, decided to open up the Christmas gifts on Christmas Eve, spend time with her family in the governor's mansion on Eagle Street. Didn't show up in Buffalo till 5 o'clock on Sunday. The damage was done by then. Is it possible that they couldn't fly there in the middle of the storm? Other than that, I have no comment. Yeah, they, I, I, Curtis, the truth is they probably couldn't fly there. They couldn't probably couldn't drive there. She should and, have been there in advance. Yeah, she she but, grew up in that area. She knew what those well, snows Well, yeah, are Buffalo's like. her home. You're right. But I had the sheriff of Erie County, which Buffalo uh, on last night, and we can play back some of the clip uh, later on. And it was one big mess. And he blamed two the two storms, one Thanksgiving where they got some areas got 77 inches, a record. And uh, that Lake Erie, it's been warm weather. Lake Erie has not been frozen over. So when it's not been frozen over and all of a sudden you got high winds, it picks up the 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 water from Lake Erie, puts it into the atmosphere, and creates the snow and creates the storm. But that's and, right. And, and the sheriff did not appear to even be hinting that uh, there was something the governor could have done to anticipate that. You know, sometimes, you know, as they say, stuff happens. We had eleven feet of snow fall in Oswego County. Back in 2007, nobody saw it coming. 11 feet. That's 132 inches. And um, it was a real mess, and it was, for them, just as bad as the storm was in Buffalo. But nobody um, blamed Governor Spitzer for for not responding quickly enough. But I think that they did the the best that they could. I mean, you do over-prepare, but in terms of visiting, sometimes... It's actually dangerous to go into a storm while it's occurring. Well, I got to tell you, Governor, we were a laughing stock all across America. 
There are guys well, in Buffalo. Forty people died is a lot of people. Right, but also there were guys on snowmobiles looting in Buffalo. No public safety whatsoever. No national guard. Once again, New York State a laughing stock. Another reason for people to continue the exodus out of Western New York. There's so many people who are going to say we had it. We're on our way to DeSantis land, Freedom Land. We're coming. We're coming to Florida. Are you going, Curtis? No, no, not we love I. New okay, York. well, that's good. As long as you're still here, we, we love hope. New York. But I think governors uh, have got to start moving National Guard in when local officials are not going to provide public safety, especially especially in emergencies. We see we've seen looting before the summer of 2020. We've seen uh, looting at other times, and it seems to be governors seem to be like, oh, I don't want to send the guard in. Well, that's what the Guard is for, to restore law and order. If you're not going to let the police do their job, let the National Guard do the job. Well, you know, one of the problems that the National Guard has had, and they do the best that they can, is that the proper training for specific events, such as this one, isn't really helping to the extent that they can add as much as you might think that they could. But what I would say is um, I'm sure uh, that's where the governor grew up. I'm sure as soon as she realized it was uh, going the way it was that she acted on it. Well, all I remember is a press conference where she blamed global warming climate change. Come on, Governor Patterson. They've had storms like this before. This is not an aberration. In 1977, Governor Kerry had to bring in the, the Army engineers from Fort Drum. It was so bad. He had to bring in the National Guard. It was so bad. They've had storms like this before. Well, I don't, I don't think it would be wise to blame a particular storm on a theory about uh, climate. But what is true is we're having these once-in-a-century storms, once-in-a-century hurricanes, once in a century, tornadoes, and we're having them every two or three years. So I wouldn't have addressed the issue about well, this individual storm, but I would say in total, if you look at the weather patterns these days, they are far more dangerous than they've been uh, in history. Bottom line, what's, what's going on in Albany, uh, Governor, is that uh, they're telling uh, Governor Hochul already signed a uh, the raise for them for the state Senate and the state assembly. Is that correct? She signed it right before new year's. Yes. So that's signed. So she had nothing to defend herself. Number two, they gave her, the commission gave her seven judges uh, to pick one of the seven judges. She picked one of the seven judges and, you know, she comes from a law enforcement family. Don't forget uh, her husband was a U.S. attorney. And she picked the one that she thought uh, was the best one. And number three, the Senate shut her down and told her, no way. And one of the senators uh, that runs the Judicial Committee says, if, if the Republicans plan to vote with the minority portion of the state Democratic Senate, we're not going to send it to the floor at all. That is wrong. Well, remember... John, remember one thing. Only 12 senators have said they're not going to vote for her. If the governor can... can but the Judicial uh, Committee, what was his name? He ran right. for uh, Manhattan Borough President. Holloway? Holly? 
Well, the the, the uh, Hoyleman. That's Hoyleman it. Is the head of the committee? Hoyleman, and he says he's, he's not going to send it to the floor, so you can't vote on it. Well, there is a procedure called a motion to discharge, which could be brought by another member, and if the rest of the party goes along with the governor, she can get this judge approved. All right, do it. Well, guess what? We we need somebody to stand up and do a motion to discharge because this is a lot of crap what's going on up there, and they're holding the governor hostage. All right, John. Thank I'll you. come back, and I'll fix this. Thank you. We want you to make a comeback. We need you back in Albany. <laughs> Take care, Curtis. Happy New Take Year. Care. I'll see you later, Governor. When we come back, got to talk about the, how the Latinos have been shut out of all statewide audiences, what uh, offices, what an opportunity this is. We need a Latino is. to speak about this. Yeah, and notice, they're ducking for cover. Why? Because Generis is ca- causing you to cower, a white guy from Astoria? Where are your cuones, your webos? This is Lydia Reports on 77 WABC. Here's Lydia Serrani. And this report is sponsored by the Seafire Grill. So there was complete chaos in Queens yesterday at the Jackson Heights Library branch. There was a drag queen story hour. So for everybody out there that doesn't know what that is, uh, a group, they'll rent out a room at a library and then they'll go there. And this time they had a drag queen go in. So that's a man dressed up as a woman and he's reading storybooks, like children's storybooks to like a group of children. So a huge protest actually broke out from both sides. And again, this was at the Jackson Heights Library. I'm talking about hundreds of people were out there, which kind of impressed me that so many New Yorkers are so passionate about this uh this subject because I do think it's a little bizarre that you have a drag queen reading storybooks to children. But take a listen to what some of the pro drag queen protesters had to say about police officers. Eat your gun! Eat your gun! All right, Kurt, Curtis, you tell me what they were saying. Give us a little bit of China. Uh, yes, uh, Lydia. Curtis, you tell me what they were saying right there. I couldn't. Uh, Eat your gun. Right. Eat your gun. I couldn't hear it clearly. Uh, but um, what I don't understand, though, uh, Lydia, is why are we making such a big deal about drag queen hour? Uh, parents are bringing their kids, right? It's not like the kids are going there on their own. This is with parental consent. They're, they're accompanying their kids. Right. I grew up with Milton Berle on TV every week. He was in a dress. He was a drag queen. As, Flip it's not Wilson. The same as Milton Berle. It's a, hey, they were drag queens. Come on. Hey, what? No, no. Like Rudy when he dressed up as a woman in SNL. This is not this. It's not the same. Well, it's well, explain they, to me. They, they, they well, what their, was it? But excuse me. Bart- who determines the parents? If the parents want to bring the kids, who the hell are you or me to say no? Well, that's that's true. It is the parents. One hundred percent. It's the parents. It's the parents. Why are you bringing your kids to something like that? And then meanwhile, that guy, Kirk Cameron, you know, from that show back in the 80s. Why am I blanking out what it's called? What is it called? What was it? You know, Kirk Cameron, sure, Christian. Sure. And and he had the storybook hour. He's actually going to be speaking in, in Scarsdale. So his books are based on Christianity Fine. and the people didn't want him there. No, no, and they I were but to ban it and let, let like everybody that, so. let everybody have their hour of reading it up. But if the parent is going to bring a child, 
who is anybody to stand in the way and say, you you don't have the right to bring your child to hear a drag queen read uh, out of a storybook to the kids? I don't understand this. Since when are we, well, I- we cutting the parents out? We're always saying, let the parents make the determination. Let the parents. Well, clearly the parents are making decisions here. The parents are making the decisions. You're 100% right. But then I think a lot of people are upset because they don't want their taxpayer dollars going to something like this. If you're going to have a drag queen story hour, go do it in your personal home or anything, something like that. But don't do it at a public library where you and I have to pay money to have this library, have this person come there. Like, don't use my money for your your perversion. Lydia, somebody came up with a solution the other day. I forget where I heard it, where they... um Maybe it was the mayor or somebody said it that, uh, whoever, whatever parents don't mind having their, um, their kids, uh, taught by a drag queen should, uh, should, uh, vote on it and say, okay, you can have my kids, uh, vote, you know, do a drag queen versus the others that don't want it. Don't want it. Right. But remember, this do is something else. This is a storybook. It's an hour of reading out of a book. The parents are bringing the well, kids. Well, then somebody else will read in, it's another book in a different right. room. I don't care. I don't care. Okay. Yeah. But let the parents decide if they want their, their kids being taught by a drag queen. But why are they doing it on a public? On, on, because on, it's public, dumb. A, a public it's, library. Like if they dumb. want to rent a room at a hall or a restaurant, go this ahead, is, do whatever you want. Yeah. This is dumb and this is what your city is attempting to do. Our city, which we love, there's certain people in certain positions that are pushing our city in that direction. Right. And a lot of people are criticizing because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she was promoting the storybook hour. And I just don't I, I you know, I agree with both of you guys, but I think they if they want to do this, they shouldn't use any kind of taxpayer funded facilities to kind of uh, have these type of events. But why not have like a superhero? Why not have something better? I don't understand. Oh, maybe in, in, in classroom B. Classroom A yeah. will have, uh, d- you're right. They should have their own. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's if you're going to use all my taxpayer dollars for the drag queens, then have another storybook hour for the Let parents them be in that training don't want the to drag, be drag queens themselves. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Oh. But by having oh. all these demonstrations, oh. all you're going to get is more of this. Lydia. Now tell me more Lydia, and more right. of it. You texted you're me right. before. Tell me oh, about her, I, Hershey's. What the heck is going on? See, see, I was going to talk about this, but I don't know enough about it because, you know, a lot of um, Mikolos would know more. That's why I was like a. Um, so well, just tell us Alex what the, what the uh, okay. title of the story yeah, so was. Hershey, Hershey is being sued for allegedly selling lead and cadmium filled dark chocolate. Pennsylvania based chocolatier Hershey's has been sued by a consumer for allegedly selling these uh chocolates with these again it has lead and cadmium so i don't know a lot of products have uh you know low levels well you know the the, uh, the thing we always talk about and me and you talk about it at five o'clock is i i take a blood test every four months five months before and, and one of the items we always check is the um uh lead um what's the three items Mercury and mercury, because if you eat a lot of fish and your mercury count goes above 10, well, it's not good for you. Right. So this guy, he's claiming that had he known that Hershey's had low levels of these these two metals, lead and cadmium, he would have never have bought it. 
But then you don't, I, I don't know for sure because a lot of our products, like, you know, like fish and so many different products that we eat have these low levels of these chemicals and metals, but he's saying it should have been disclosed. So had he known, he wouldn't have purchased it. Well, but, I'm, but, but of course, Hershey's going to say it's safe levels. For the five o'clock hour, why don't you do your research on those two chemicals and see how bad they are for us? Of course, cadmium and lead, lead poisoning. Lead that is very bad. Oh, it's extremely dangerous. It can cause major cognitive disabilities in children. Every time we open up the pipes to uh, New York City, fresh water, which tastes the best in the country, they win the contest, it comes through lead-lined pipes. I don't think people recognize that. These are the the buildings that are are 60, 70, 80 years old. These are old pipes. We would have to rip out all these pipes, put in plastic pipes, but then you have plasticides. So it's not one thing, it's another thing, but I would just suggest everybody opening up their faucet because they're not going to always go out and get bottled water. You're going to get a certain amount of percentage sometimes of lead because of the piping that comes all the way from the reservoir to the aqueduct. Get a blood test, make sure you take a a reading on your lead, on your arsenic, and um, on the mercury. You know, remember, I, I I had high arsenic count. And we were joking around. Is is Margo trying to poison you? No, <laughs> it, it's it, it's the fact was I was drinking a certain water, and I'm not going to mention it on the air. And I'm I must when I drink bottled water, I must have drank five thousand gallons of that water that summer, and it has arsenic in it. Mm. And I stopped drinking it. Ninety days later, I took another blood test. The arsenic was gone. Now, question, John. Uh, from time to time, Hershey's will do a promotion where they'll have a young lady or a young man hold a basket full of kisses, the Hershey's kisses, and give you a sample. They've done it in your store, other stores. They always try to, you know, get the chocolate uh, addiction going. We all going. love chocolate. Right. I love that uh, that Hershey's store down in uh, Times Square. I mean, it, it's a great store. Oh, my, my wife, Nancy, is addicted to and, chocolate. And you know what I like? There's a certain uh, chocolate you could only get at Hershey Park. What, what was it, the golden chocolate? Oh, the gold. It's like the golden calf. Yes. yes. So do- Dr. Mikolos, Dr. Mikolos just texted me. He's obviously listening to WABC. He said lead and cadmium, those are the two metals that are in these Hershey's dark chocolates, can damage the immune system in humans and animals. These two toxic, toxic elements affect innate and adaptive immune responses. Wow. So, yeah, they're toxic. But then again, we don't know how high the levels are because, like you just said, John, you were drinking a water that had low levels of arsenic. And as far as I know, that water is still on the market. If you, so uh, for and, whatever and reason, one, these and, products and, are allowed to have these low levels. And the of other problem uh, we had with uh, our crew, with uh, Emily Pankow and uh, George uh, Venizelos, and we all had, we all were eating lunch during the, uh, uh, the during the year when we had the problem with COVID. And we were eating at a certain restaurant, and we were eating the certain fish, and we said, oh, my God, this is so good. This is so good. And, uh, you know, and uh, that gave us mercury. Mercury poisoning, uh, yeah, huh? Certain, yeah, yeah, anything right, that's, yeah, that, certain that fish. You, if you eat too much of it, well, and stay away from swordfish, stay away from, uh, what's that fancy word? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> there was that fancy know. fish that uh, that uh, that fillet fish. 
Uh, no, the one down there, <laughs> they used to come up from Brazil. Oh, you mean the piranha. Bronzino, Bronzino. Bronzino, Bronzino yes. Guess what? Bronzino, Bronzino. You better, you, if you're eating Bronzino every day, you better check your mercury count. Uh, but remember, John. All right. When uh, this mommy. This report, oh. No, go oh, ahead. I got a, go I, this, it's sponsored. This report is sponsored by the Seafire Grill for your holiday season. Spend it dining with friends and family at the Seafire Grill. And they have good fish. And they have good fish. They do for the... For the best seafood sides and service in their cozy atmosphere, this is not where John was going and getting the mercury fish, by the way. Check them out at theseafiregrill.com. And, John, we had mercury thermometers, remember, to take your temperature when you were a little kid? And the other problem is when you had mercury in your teeth. Yes. Your, those dentists used to drill your teeth That's right. just to make money. They were <laughs> professional drillers. They used to drill. I mean, I remember when I was going to school, they could... Kids came home. Oh, I got 32 cavities. Exactly. I got 28. I got it from eating Hershey's chocolate bars. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to learn more about what the heck is going on in Albany. We're going to have Judge Richard Weinberg. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Finally, finally, you get some music that you guys are actually bebopping to. Unbelievable. You should see them. They're having a party back in the studio there, John. They haven't stopped. Exactly. Now, I understand uh, we have the uh, eminent uh, judge on the line. Judge Richard Weinberg, 15 years with uh, uh, General Counsel Speaker Peter Vallone, who was one common sense guy. And uh, then 15 years Supreme Court uh, justice. And now he's six years in of a 15-year sentence at Red Apple Group General Counsel. <laughs> good morning. How are you, Curtis, Judge? Good morning, John. I'm, I'm good. Curtis, what? that was wonderful music. I was sitting here waiting to go on. I was bopping myself. Yes. We're all from the same generation. We love that music, the, cousin, the old Cousin Brucey music. And that's what we listen to. Now, we were all upset the, the last few days, what's going on. And, uh, Governor Patterson was on before, uh, and he gave us uh, his interpretation of what's going on. And, and, and you have, I don't know if you heard it or, or if you have your, what's going on in Albany with uh, uh, the state Senate shooting down uh, the governor. Well, I know, I, unfortunately, I know all about it, and I think it's absolutely if I want to be gentle, I'd say it's regrettable. Uh, if I want to be accurate, I'd say it's absolutely reprehensible and awful what the state Senate Democrats are doing, led by Generis. What they're doing is they're attacking an independent judiciary. The Court of Appeals of New York has been one of the great courts in the country. For many years, its reputation even exceeded the quality of the United States Supreme Court. That's what you're talking about. Their job is to be an independent branch of government to decide on the constitutionality of laws. What Generis is doing, and he's leading the pack of Democrats, the Democratic Socialists are moving this, the working family parties, the unions, they're trying to make sure that whatever left-wing ideological legislation is passed by the state legislature 
the Court of Appeals becomes a rubber stamp. Generis has particularly made an offensive statement, not only attacking the integrity and character of the former chief judge, Janthe Fiore, but three other judges on the, on the court in his statement that he released yesterday. This is absolutely awful. The Bar Association should be attacking Generis, and Holman, who's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, is going along with this program. If uh, the governor allows this to happen, she's totally weakened. She'll be a rubber stamp herself to the, the legislature in the years to come. The last saving grace to protect us against unconstitutional actions is the New York Court of Appeals, and Generis wants to fix this. This is court packing at its worst. Let me ask you a question because you worked many years for Peter Valone Sr. Peter Valone Sr. in Astoria mentored Generis. Generis uh, uh, made his bones politically uh, under the tutelage of Peter Valone Sr. He was a moderate Democrat. What the hell happened to this guy? He's become the male version of AOC. And and, and I have to say, I know Michael Generis well. He's a good person. He went to Harvard. He's a smart guy. I went to his wedding, and I'm disappointed in, in in him aligning himself with AOC because he's one smart kid. Well, what he is is he's ruthlessly ambitious. So he may have been smart. And I know Generis from the very beginning, too, because as Peter Valone's general counsel, I would meet with Generis. I remember when he first ran for the assembly, and then he went on to the, uh, then he went on to the state senate. Then he went on to the state Senate. Uh, he's really the power in the state Senate. That's every, everyone should understand that. He's the one who's pulling the, the pushes. When he wanted to sabotage the Amazon deal, which cost uh, the city and a lot of good people 25,000 jobs in, in, in Long Island City, he's the one who pushed that. When he tried to uh, overturn the state constitution by having a, a gerrymandering, of the legislative and congressional districts. He was one who was pushing it, and it was set back by the Court of Appeals, rightfully, in a decision that was absolutely correct on the law. So Generis is fighting for power. So you may have known him once upon a time, as I knew him once upon a time, but he's nothing but an opportunist. He has no integrity on this, and I frankly believe the real ethical questions about the way he's conducted himself by personally attacking the judges, three sitting judges on the court, in his statement yesterday. So this is awful. Did and, they and force John, that woman out, that, that, that judge? That, the, yes, I think. Janet DeFiori? Right. Because yeah, she, and it all came down to that lawsuit about having fair and square uh, assembly districts, right? And Senate districts. And congressional districts. And congressional districts. Yeah. And I think the, 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 the panel did an excellent job in being fair and square. And, and the left-wing Democrats were upset. Of course. But let's, let's put this in context that, that you and, and Curtis and our listeners should understand. New York is in trouble. New York City is in trouble. New York State is in trouble. We have to understand that. Almost 500,000 people, as you pointed out, John, in the last two years have fled New York. And these are productive, taxpaying people, the ones who buy jobs and services and keep uh, all the social programs funded. This is very, very important. It's a signal that people are walking with their feet. They're voting with their feet. They're fleeing the left-wing agenda of the Democratic Socialists, the Working Families Party, and people like Holman and Janaris. And, and, sooner, and sooner or later, the crap was going to hit the fan. 
because if if the people of 500,000 people are moving out that are paying the taxes and 500,000 migrants are moving in that are living off the rest of us, well, sooner or later the crap is going to hit the fan. Of course. Let me give you a couple of illustrations of why this is so important. If If we allow this political game to occur, to make the Court of Appeals a rubber stamp for left-wing agenda, you could have pieces of legislation going up to the Court of Appeals, such as, should reparations be paid? And they'll rubber stamp, yes, reparations should be paid. Who's going to pay the reparations? Or if the local governments want to allow non-citizens to vote, and right now it's barred by the Constitution, but you have a rubber stamp Court of Appeals, they say, oh, yeah, the Constitution allows that. So the public policy implications of this and the real impact of everyday New Yorkers I got to get it, Judge. I got to get it off my chest. In twenty years, Venezuela, the richest country in South America, the richest country in South America, went from the richest country in South America to a socialist communist land, and all the middle class moved out. They took over there. Though they took over that country. And, and that's, what, what, that's what, what they're doing here. What they're, what they're doing, doing here in Albany and what they're doing here in Washington, that's what they're trying to do to the United States of America. So I'm calling on all citizens, wake up. The roses are not smelling as well as they should be. And what do you think uh, will happen if Hochul either withdraws the nomination or it's, or it's voted down? Now, you're the, you're, you're, you're the judge. You know the law. And Governor Patterson knows the law. This this guy that uh, the senator that's withholding, not allowing, not allowing the vote to go to the floor on this uh, Hispanic judge LaSalle. What say Brad you? Holman. Oh, I think. Listen, he's already announced that they're not going to have. He's saying they're going to have a, a full and fair hearing. He's already announced that uh, what the result is going to be. So that's like saying, are uh, your execution is scheduled for? It's 6 a.m., uh, but we'll have your trial at 5 a.m. I mean, it's ridiculous. Now, there may be a device, and Governor Patterson, having been the lieutenant governor and minority leader of the Senate, would know this better than I, but there may be a device we had in the city council to have a motion or a petition of discharge to get it on the floor of the full Senate, regardless of what this committee does, which is controlled by the, by the Democrats. So if they can get it on the floor, everybody should see how these senators are voting. They want to duck the issue. But there are a lot of people who are afraid of the unions and the working families parties and the, uh, the socialists. Well, Get well, it on the floor for a vote. Judge Weinberg, this is a matter also of ethnic pride. I remember citing against you when your guy, Peter Malone, was running for Congress against my guy, Herman Badillo, and a guy called uh, Reverend Louis Giganti at that time from the South Bronx, uh, Badillo won, but it was a great race. And I spent a lot of time with Herman Badillo, who was denied an opportunity to run against Ed Koch in a Democratic primary in 1985. He probably would have lost, but he finally had his shot. And the four horsemen of Harlem stood in his way. That was uh, Patterson, that was Badillo, that was Wrangell, and that was Percy Sutton. They said no. They chose uh, Denny Farrell. Nobody knew Denny Farrell. They thought he was Irish, right? Nobody knew him. And the guy was crashed and burned. And Herman said to me, Curtis, there will never be a statewide Latino 
in New York State or citywide. And I said, what are you talking about, Herman? He goes, Hispanics battle their own. We should have had a statewide uh, person at least running for office statewide or citywide. And if you notice, it is this day we have no statewide, no citywide Hispanics. They're a quarter of the population. A quarter of the population. You would think this is like Sotomayor uh, being elevated to the United States Supreme Court. All the Latinos were dancing in the streets. One of our own, Sotomayor. LaSalle is an honorable man from Suffolk County. He's a great judge. He happens to be a Latino. Where are the Latinos out there speaking on his behalf? They should be ashamed of themselves. They have no huevos. They have no culions. Curtis, let me let me say this. You have you have a, a Latino on the Court of Appeals, Rivera. She was a professor at CUNY Law School, C University Law School, where I taught for many years. Uh, very nice lady. She got through the committee, the screening committee, of the, was one of the seven nominees. She was appointed. Both Democrats and Republicans supported her nomination. They were fair to her. Now, her politics, frankly, was not my politics. She was far left. I didn't think she had the legal experience, but she was uh, she was nominated and she was appointed, and we should all respect that uh, that decision. They're not being fair to Judge LaSalle, but more importantly, they're destroying the whole constitutional system of checks and balances. Right, but Judge Weinberg, and- remember when it looked like Tish James would run for governor? Everybody said, oh, we have to elevate Eric Gonzalez. He'll be the first Latino attorney general. They did the same with Freddie Ferrer years ago. He should run for state controller. I mean, Latinos have been their own worst enemy. They got to coalesce around this guy and say enough is enough. This man is an honorable man. He's deserved the position. And it'll show fellow Latinos and Latinas, yeah, you could serve in a statewide capacity in New York State and be honored. Yeah, Freddie Ferrer, by the way, is uh, is backing the nomination of uh, of Judge LaSalle. Well, they better they better have a press conference. They better have rallies. They better shout down this white Greek guy in Astoria, Generis, who obviously all the Latinos. It seems like they've lost their manhood and womanhood. Okay, whatever you say, Generis. <laughs> I mean, it's disgraceful. Well, it really is disgraceful. It's it's bigger than I wouldn't characterize this as a racial. I understand your your concerns, but I would say people have to wake up because if the New York Court of Appeals is not an independent branch of government, if it's merely a rubber stamp for the crazy left that's destroying this city and this state, then this city and this state are on its way to becoming California. And California is in serious trouble economically and socially. And this is serious business. The future of this city and this state stand on this nomination. It's that important. And what is the governor doing behind the scenes to use whatever cloud or muscle she has on this? This, If she loses this, she's lost face. She's lost face. She's basically saying, state senate, generics, you might as well be the governor. You're the shot caller, right. not me. Absolutely. absolutely. By the way, I don't know if she signed the pay increase bill. Yet she, she, did. she did. She so did. She, so yeah. she's got no bullets left in her gun. Yeah, I would never have signed it. If you want, you know, she has to learn how to. David play Patterson would have never signed it. Of course not. She never should have signed it. The point of the matter is, she does not know how to play hardball. And whatever you say about Janaris, even though he's an opportunist, even though he's ethical and questionable, the guy's a graduate of Harvard Law School. He should know better than to attack 
sitting judges in the Court of Appeals. That's reprehensible. And where's the bar associations and the editorial boards and, as Curtis says, the Latino groups, where are they fighting this absolute outrage? This is politics as dirtiest, as ugliest, and the future of this state is at stake, and that's why I'm concerned. Well, Judge Weinberg, thanks for giving us edification on this process, what uh, has transpired, the history. I still say I was right in supporting Herman Badillo in 1970 for Congress against your guy, Peter Vallone Sr., and Reverend well, Louis Gigante. Well, Peter did all right. He became the Speaker of the Council. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Judge Weinberg, and have a great weekend and Happy New Year. Happy New Year, both. Be well. Thank well. you. Uh, fire and brimstone here, John. We're taking, we're bringing the fire well, to this we're race. We're telling the truth. Got to fight the for him. The people out there have to know the truth. Gotta, what the heck is going on? Got to fight for LaSalle on every level. Where are the Latinos? Where are the Latinas, huh? You're my best friend. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. Well, the music continues to be good. And what's the other thing that I promised my wife I'd say? Thank God it's Friday. Ah. My God. TGIF. And it's going to be a happy new year and... And it's gonna, hopefully 2023 will be a great year compared to 2022. How do you say good riddance? Exactly. Good riddance. Good riddance uh, to 2022. But uh, maybe our colleagues here will get back to work real soon. What do you hopefully, think? Maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, soon. you think is like, what do they think this is? Huh? A vacation? With us today uh, is a good friend. Uh, he was uh, 10 years GOP chairman of New York State. And uh, he was... Uh, uh, President Nixon's uh, son-in-law, married Trisha, and knows about China. Nobody knows more about China than than Ed Cox, and uh, nobody knows about uh, New York State more than Ed Cox. Uh, good morning, oh, that's Ed. very kind of you, John, <laughs> to say that. What subject do you want to take up first? Well, I, I see the boss is working. You're working. Where, where's everyone else, John? Well, you know, uh, we, we've been used to working all our lives, and, uh, you know, we can't change. Yeah, that's right. Well, what's going on in New York, and it's really uh, a matter of real importance. We, our highest court here in New York is called the Court of Appeals. It's the only one among the 50 states that has it. It is not called the Supreme Court. It is called the Court of Appeals, the highest court in New York State. And it keeps that name because it is very special. It is known as the most prominent, the most important common law court in the nation, probably in the world. Uh, and uh, it's about to get there is an attempt to corrupt it in the process by which the judges are, are appointed to it. I, I served on a committee on judicial nomination for 19 years, and that's a commission that nominates seven prominent judges or other members of the bar to be on the court from which the governor of the state then has to make uh, his or her selection. And uh, Governor Hochul has made an excellent selection to be the chief judge of the Court of Appeals of New York State, uh, Hector LaSalle. 
who is the presiding justice, which is a very prominent position of the Second Department uh, uh, Court of a uh, Court of Appeals, uh, appellate division of the of the of the system. And uh, Hector LaSalle happens to be a Latino, uh, very strong credentials. Uh, it would be the first Latino chief judge of the Court of Appeals uh, and uh, out against uh, uh, Hector LaSalle, there has now been an outpouring of Democrats, uh, 12 of them, without even looking at his record and not even uh, having given him a hearing yet, but they have rejected him because they say he's too conservative for them. Uh, mostly they're Democrat socialists or other radical progressives. And uh, they've been joined by the chair of the Judiciary Committee. But it appears that Governor Hochul is standing by uh, his nomination. And it's going to be a very, a very interesting process between now and uh, January 23 when uh, when the Senate must uh, the state Senate must act. Now, uh, Chairman Cox, um, you're an expert on mainland China, what I call Red China. As of uh, January 5th, the Biden administration is resuming flights. That means you're going to have uh, Chinese citizens who are flying into America. Now, they claim they're going to have to pass a COVID negative test first. It's 250 million people who are now COVID positive in China. And that number 250, huge, 250 (laughs) million people. And it's growing exponentially. Uh, This sounds to me insane because we're going back to when John did that first interview in January of 2020 with then Dr. Fauci had said, no problems. Let the flights continue in, even though the uh, virus was there. What what would your recommendation be? Yeah, you know, Chris, it's not just the uh, the danger of increasing uh, the impact of the variant of COVID that's now here in the United States that presumably is the same as that in, in, in China. And you have a huge influx without testing them, without requiring testing. Uh, that would be that would be terrible in and of itself. But the danger is that with 240 million people having it and traveling around China, which has their vaccines not been affected, there's no natural community because of their lockdowns, uh, they could create new variants. And if a new, more pernicious variant came into the United States, that would be terrible for, for, the, uh, for the spike up in COVID that is expected at this time in the winter and what would happen, the, the danger of it, that the uh, vaccinations may not work, et cetera, et cetera. Now, Chairman Cox, also uh, the Red Chinese government uh, is buying up enormous acreage of farmland throughout the United States from coast to coast, North Dakota, South Dakota. It's just buying every acre that's up for sale. This does, I, I think, not spell well for us. What, if anything, could be done to stop this? Well, I'm not sure what could be done to stop it. Interesting, they're buying acreage near our military installations. So this is China really infiltrating uh, from a, a military spy point of view on what's going on in military uh, installations. Uh, but I, I, one of the China is 
getting very aggressive. You saw recently the way their their planes and their ships were invading the territory uh, waters and air of Taiwan, threatening it, flying within uh, uh, 10 yards of our uh, reconnaissance flights that were over international airspace, et cetera. one of those reasons, I think, is that their economy, it's not just the COVID that's hurting their economy. It's President Xi's uh, communist doctrine uh, and his desire to bring all power into the party and into himself that is causing an economic decline in China. Private businesses are getting crushed. Now they say, you know, people. Uh, uh, businessmen who uh, object to Putin are getting pushed out of the windows in Moscow. In China, they say they're jumping out of the windows because their, their businesses are being destroyed by edicts from uh, from President Xi. And as the economy goes into decline, the, the, the deal with the people of China and the Communist Party, the deal is as long as there's prosperity, then uh, they, the people will will go along with the present uh, emperor, if you will, the Communist Party and, and President Xi. But, uh, but if the economy is declining, then uh, he's going to be, get to be more aggressive uh, militarily and try and appeal to China's, uh, uh, national, China, China's nationalism and, uh, and, and saying that the greatness of China, restoring the greatness of China. Well, now, recently, it's, yeah, it's, recently it's like, we like saw him in, in Russia, right? right? But we saw him installed as emperor for life. It was a huge ceremony. His predecessor was sitting right next to him, and the security, right, and the yeah, security exactly. guards <laughs> yanked him right out. Now, I gotta <laughs> believe that was done purposely to send a message to the world. I gotta believe that. It's a little bit more subtle than that. What was going on? It's interesting. Uh, what was happening is uh, uh, Hu Yabang, his, his successor, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Hu Jintao was his, was his predecessor. And, uh, and by custom, he's sitting there next to him. A deal had been made uh, when the elders get together at the, a beachfront called Bedehu outside Beijing. And they gather there and they really decide what's going to happen next year, what's going to happen to leadership. And they all acceded to, to Xi being the leader for a third term, which is against the Constitution. Uh, of, of, of China. And as you say, emperor for life. But uh, they, uh, they did restrict him in certain ways. And he was supposed to do certain things. Well, he double-crossed them. What he did was uh, he elected all of his own flunkies to be on the standing committee of the Politburo. That's the seven people who really run the show. Uh, and the Politburo itself, it was all his own people. And that was all in little red folders that were on everyone's desk to a central committee that were about to vote on it. And they were not supposed to open them up. Well, Hu Jintao, the former president, actually started to open it up. And if he saw it, he might be amazed. Well, this wasn't the deal. <laughs> and might start making objections. <laughs> <in front. laughs> and so two of two of, uh, of uh, President Xi's aides lifted him up and took him out. <laughs> <laughs> lifted him up and took him out. Well, just just like in the movies. Yeah, like Eddie Hawk tied him and took him right out. You're, you're gone, now, now, I mean, is this coming to the United... Ed Cox, you've been in Washington forever. 
Is this happening to our country? I mean, it seems like look what happened to uh, uh, what's uh, uh, strong at uh, George Santos. Yeah, George Santos. George. First of all, John, yes. I, I have ser- I served in the Reagan, Reagan, but I commuted down there. I don't accuse me of being in Washington for life. <laughs> all right, I won't give you that sentence. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, no, yeah. I'm talking about Stone, Roger Stone. Oh, Roger Stone, and, and the other guy. They they get uh, arrested, they get yeah. arrested. The, the FBI sends a SWAT team to arrest him, and he goes straight into uh, jail, straight to solitary confinement, et cetera, et cetera. No, I mean, is I, our country in is our country in danger of becoming something that we don't want it to become? Uh, yeah, the way they arrested Roger Stone was <laughs> look here. Here was a major advisor to uh to candidate trump he was really the first advisor in fact i got a call from roger stone uh, early on as chairman of the party and this was in 2014 and donald trump was running for governor of new york yes and roger stone calls me and says donald should not run for governor of new york he should run directly for the presidency it's not going to work which was my the way i saw it also uh, but uh, meanwhile, Donald Trump is saying, Roger Stone's crazy. What businessman ever got in the history of the United States ever got elected directly to the presidency? I've got to be a governor of New York first before I become president. Now, Curtis, you know that doesn't work politically. You can't run for, in essence, for two offices at once, right? Correct. It doesn't work. And uh, <laughs> But with uh, Roger's support, I had to advise uh, Donald Trump to that effect. He didn't appreciate it at the time. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> that, uh, that, though, would have been a classic heavyweight battle. Two guys who grew up side by side, Andrew Cuomo, the governor in Hollisswood, Jamaica State's Donald Trump. Their families were very friendly when they were growing up. Would have been battling each other for the governorship of New York. Uh, that would have been a heavyweight battle. You know, Curtis, it would have been a great battle if Donald Trump were really dedicated to that battle. I would have said, go to it. But he was really running for the president of the United States. And people were saying, all right, the, uh, you know, Rob Astorino, who was a candidate out there, was, was, they were saying, well, Rob, you can run for lieutenant governor while Donald runs for governor. Then he'll run for president and you'll be the real governor. I mean, if that kind of stuff gets around, you're just not going to run an effective race, right? <laughs> but right. if he did, boy, that would have been – you're right. It would have been one heck of a race for governor if he were really serious. Well, well when you think of what could have been, remember, Rudy, if not for prostate cancer, would have been battling Hillary for the seat of Daniel Patrick Moynihan that he had retired from. You talk about another heavyweight battle we would have had in New York State. Oh, that that is right. That <laughs> uh, that that didn't work. That didn't work. It was it was still a, a battle, uh, but no, it didn't. It, it it didn't work, and she won, and uh, and she could have been beaten. Then she was. Uh, she did not know how to be a candidate. I don't think she ever did. Really, very uh, very, very quickly, Chairman Cox. Before we go, uh, I never in in all the crazy candidates that I've seen run for office nationally. Never seen anyone like uh, George Santos. What are the Republicans to do with this guy? I don't even know if his name is George Santos after all of this. <laughs> we don't know, but the fact is he is, he is now a congressman-elect, 
And uh, if, uh, if, if he has not done anything illegal, and believe me, uh, the feds are looking at him and the, the state prosecutors are looking at him. But if there's not done anything legal, he'll be sworn into Congress and uh, the people will have to decide two years from now uh, whether whether it, it matters or not. All right. Regular contributor to the five o'clock roundtable discussion at John Katsimatidis, former chairman of the New York State Republican Party. Ed Cox, thanks for your contribution. <laughs> thank Curtis, you, Ed. Thank you for telling it like it is from the street. <laughs> Happy New Year. Thank you. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Hey, you think you could have a little more upbeat music here, Diego? It's just like, you know, we're not on a beach uh, in uh, Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic. We're here in New York City. The ball is getting ready to drop uh, Saturday night. You don't want to go anywhere. You want to be listening to WABC. If I can, John, let me just let everybody know. Tell me what you're going to do at midnight. Well, first we have the day of entertainment, as we always have, Saturdays and Sundays. So you have Vinny Madunio. Cousin Vinny, I call him. Right. Five to six. Then it's Cousin Brucey, six to ten. Then it's Tony Orlando and his brother uh, from ten to twelve. I will have already have been in Times Square as I am every year with the Guardian Angels patrolling because there are always problems. And then I will get back here in time as the ball has dropped and then be able to tell everybody what was going down in Times Square and then just start beginning the whole year with live and local programming again, which other stations don't do. They don't do live and local programming. We have the whole weekend is live and local and uh, people love it and you know your your numbers at uh, at night at three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. You and Dominic, record high numbers. Yeah, Dominic did a great job in filling in. Uh, we we were like an amoeba. Part of Dominic was Frank Morano. Part of me was Frank Morano, as he was uh, at his wine and cheese testing event there in Atlantic City. Hey, pal, I would much rather be here at WABC than Atlantic City. That's for sure. Because what are you going to do there? Lose your money. Shooting craps at the board, get out of it. But speaking of shooting craps, when you fill out your tax returns, you don't necessarily expect that they're going to be entered into the uh, congressional record of the United States government. Well, as Goma Pyle used to say, surprise, 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 six years of Donald Trump's personal tax records are going to be entered into the congressional record as of today. That is wrong. That's what they're saying now. And and the other thing that happened, uh, front page of every newspaper in the country, they're subpoenaing Donald Trump. Was that now they're saying, well, uh, people are saying that, uh, well, maybe that was a, uh, a Democratic trickster uh, because of the, uh, of the uh, elections. Well, that was uh, for January 6th committee. You're right. Full page headlines all around the world. Donald Trump was subpoenaing you, and then all of a sudden, they dropped it. What that page? Yesterday, on Thursday, I think. They what, did what, it. what page was that? <laughs> I don't think it was any, any page. Page 49, maybe. They dropped the subpoenas, and I, I wonder if they apologized. It was all crap. 
It was all a show. You know, act one, scene two, act two, scene one. I mean, they were, they were putting on a play. I mean, but the American people, a lot of them are very smart and they know that. But a lot of them don't realize that they're being crap to. Remember, uh, John, it was April of 2021. And a whole hell broke loose here at WABC because our colleague, uh, Rudy Giuliani, who is a personal uh, attorney for then President Donald Trump, had his home raided by the FBI. They took everything, all his phones, <laughs> laptops, everything. Remember, people were telling you. On the front page of every newspaper. Uh, remember and then when, when they said he's innocent, guess what? Page 49, maybe. But. I want people to know that at that moment when the FBI raided Rudy's house, had the warrant, subpoenas for everything, took everything in the guy's house, people were telling you, get rid of him. Remember, they were saying, get rid of him. And to John's credit, he said, absolutely not. You you said, look. I was, I'm in this country that says you're innocent till proven guilty. A lot of people, they never heard that story. The pressure was intense. I got to tell you, when uh, Rudy endorsed me for mayor, which was uh, a few weeks after, people were telling me, you don't even want to be standing there with Rudy any minute. The FBI is going to come arrest him, and, you know, he's going to be sent to Gitmo, right? Oh, my God. Look who he Then, two years later, they put it before a grand jury. Nothing. No bill of goods. And you can always get a grand jury to indict. And where does this man go to get his honor? It, it was all for naught for naught and it was part of and i never trusted the fbi going way back to j edgar hoover i don't know when they've ever been not been a political organization your friend george uh, defends them but i'm telling you i dealt with them personally on a number of matters yeah, but they've but, always been politicized but you got to remember the the department of justice runs the fbi in washington the department of justice has their own Hit squad that they call FBI. Yeah. So I'm not the other the other cities that have or the FBI teams. They they love America and they're honest F, FBI guys. They're honest that want law and order. And I'll tell you another story about another three letter word in Washington, and I won't mention the name. Which three letter word uh, is I said. I said to some of the senior people, senior, senior people, I said, uh, you guys are there to defend America worldwide. When you get a political guy in there, what do you do? You know what they say? Yes, yes. They say yes. They become yes men. They say yes, 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 yes. But guess what? Deep down inside, they're defending our country. Well, look. There's another acronym. All right, you heard what I yes, said. Yes, but you know, and, and the guy, the pol- the political guy on top, never knows. Right, but he remember, never knows. Remember Daniel Patrick Moynihan. We we talked about when he retired. We expected a big battle between Rudy running as a Republican against Hillary. That would have been a heavyweight political battle. He had to drop out because of prostate cancer. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, to his credit. Time and time again, went to the floor of the U.S. Senate, said, we must disband the CIA. It is a rogue operation. They are answerable to nobody. They have unlimited checks. They walk around with suitcases full of money. Then it's got to be abolished. And everybody said to him, whoa, CIA. 
And ever since that day, I've referred to them as criminals in action, our criminals. But they've been wrong on everything, John. They were wrong on the Bay of Pigs. They were wrong about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. They've been wrong on everything. I think you need them. My opinion. Right. I think you need them. But there's got to be supervision. Look, look, when, when you ask these people to go all over the world and to infiltrate uh, other situations and their life is in constant danger, you're going to run into a few nuts. John. They, You're going to run into a few nuts. They, but, but you, you know. they told us, don't worry, the Taliban won't get back into uh, Kabul for another year and a half. CIA. Within a week, they were back in Kabul, running us out of Afghanistan. Our CIA. You know how many millions they end up getting? And by the way, are they accountable to anybody for the money they spent? No. Now, you know what human nature is like. If I give you $1,000 and you decide to take $100 for yourself. Normally, you have to be accountable for that. You don't have to be accountable for anything. Show up with suitcases full of money to bribe people. How do you know they're not taking a skim for themselves? John, John, we, we got to rein them in. You know, when, when Trump kept talking about the deep state, the deep state, you know, you said, come on. You could, you sort of paranoid, you know, and then you saw 51 of the former security officials of the United States sign that letter. It said it was a Russian plot of disinformation, the Hunter Biden laptops, John, that our own Rudy Giuliani brought to the federal attention. He, every agency, he knocked on doors, and they said, oh, that's Russian disinformation. Now, how many years later? Well, no, that's true. There's no Russian disinformation there. I don't trust them, John. I just don't trust them because there's no accountability. There's no supervision that we know of. There's no transparency. Don't trust them. And we saw what they did to Rudy. He they said he was a Russian stooge. That that laptop was given to him by, might as well have been given to him by Putin. He told the truth. He said, we went to the fix-it shop. Well, you know the most important thing that people have to realize? You've got 8 billion people in the world. You have 5.5 billion people being run by dictators, communists, Socialists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You only have two and a half billion people in the free world that depend on the United States of America to keep those two and a half billion free. And guess what? I hope we're not in trouble because look what happened to Venezuela. I am not going to stop thinking about it. No, Venezuela. Right. Was a wonderful country. Very wealthy, uh, oil rich. Uh, you know, Chad is from Venezuela. Yes. I, I think his father's from Venezuela. Well, look, my dad, merchant seaman, would, would sail back and forth to Standard Oil. That's where Rockefeller made part of his fortune. The oil in Venezuela, they were oil rich, like you said, an advanced society. And then they went in the direction of Cuba. And look at what happened to them. Cuba wants Venezuela, and Venezuela wants Cuba. I yep. mean, uh, they, they, be, it's gone. And what they're doing in Washington by putting people in charge like Buttigieg that doesn't know his oh, left arm from his right arm, <laughs> putting people in charge of homeland security that's not defending our country. I'm worried about the United States of America. You want to know how I feel? I feel I'm worried about the United States of America 
you know, 2026 is going to be our, our 250th year. 2076 is 300th year. Uh, you know, me and you are going to be okay. You know who I worry about? Our kids yep. and grandkids yes. to come, both of us. You've got young kids. Well, when you come, we come back, I want your uh, predictions for 2023 because I hear all these so-called experts about the economy, business, jobs, and I see they're reading from the teleprompter. They don't know anything about anything. They don't know crap something. You've lived this life. You've come from nothing to become something, the American dream that so many aspire to, that so many eventually will achieve. But please... When we come back, John Katsimatidis, uh, it is the final uh, quarter hour of the morning show, Sid and Friends. Final quarter hour of the Sid and Friends year. The, the year. Right. The year is gone. But we need your predictions. We need your It's like It's like all of a sudden you're ready to go to the track. You're expecting the, the, the predictions of what to do. Because it's like a race. I will talk about it. Excellent. Don't go anywhere, WABC. And then afterwards, Lydia Serrani. Live programming, 10 to 12. No oldie moldy, best of, worst of. Then I come back, 12, 15 to 1. We begin the cycle all over again. It's Dominic Carter in the house from 1 to 3. Substituting for Lieutenant Colonel Greg Kelly. It's our Kumbadi Chief, Rudy Giuliani. And then it's Anthony Weiner from 4 to 5. Substituting for James Golden. And who's back at 5? With newsmakers galore, John Katzmatidis with his roundtable discussion. It doesn't get any better than that. Keep it right here on 77 AM WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. About time. About time. Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. Right there, from the hill of Athens where civilization was born, we have uh, John Katsimatidis, who, um, although he'll claim to be part Italian, part Jewish, uh, predominantly, can I make this statement? You're like 98% Greek. Am I right about that, John? No, I'll tell you what it is. 28% Italian. All right. Uh, 60% Macedonian Greek. Whoa. That's... Don't forget, my mother was from Constantinople. So that's like... So that's northern Greece. Alexander the Great. Maybe I'm related. Wow. <laughs> so. And, uh, and 6% Jewish. Mm. So what is that? 28 and 60 it's uh, 88 and 694. And 6% miscellaneous. Oh, boy. I guess, you know, my, my relatives must now, have... if you were to choose, just as a prognosticator, would you have wanted to be an Athenian or from Spartacus? I think I'm a little bit from Spartacus. I'm a little bit of a uh, warrior. Yes, you are. You and know, I'm the nicest guy in the world, but if somebody crosses me... The end is near. <laughs> That's for sure. You get, you're out of business. So we've got the great Greek philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, my favorite, Diogenes. But right now the ball is going to drop Sun, excuse me, Saturday. Uh, I'll be here when the ball drops. I'll be in Times Square with the Guardian Angels and then broadcast till 6 in the morning. We're going to continue the cycle. But I think our audience... Uh, Regarding your prowess, your experience, the many battles you've fought, 
What do you foresee in 2023? Well, I think our country, our people, our America, uh, we're being conned in many, many ways. Uh, this whole thing with uh, uh, climate change. Look, I believe that we should worry about our, our, our climate and do the right things by it. But the, the, the earth has existed for uh, three and a half, four billion years. And the earth has made its own adjustments. Dr. Sky um, uh, was on uh, yesterday, uh, and I think I recorded him for the weekend. Uh, and when the earth's revolver revolves around, was slowing up. Guess what? It just speeded up to catch up with itself. Mm. And so I asked him to do the study because as a pilot, uh, let's say uh, uh, airports, runway 18 was 180 degrees uh, to the North Pole. What does that mean? And it was shifting a little bit. The North Pole was shifting, and they changed some of the airports. Some of them went to 19, 190 degrees. I said, is that shifting back, or is what's happening? Um, the other thing with uh, uh, with the, the American people being conned is uh, with this uh, wind power and uh, with this uh, uh, solar power. That is great. You know, if you can heat up your, your hot water with solar power uh, cells on, on the uh, roof, that's great. But between the cost of the solar cells and, and uh, the amount of heat you get for the hot water, somewhere along the line, it's not that much money saving. And then nobody tells you that if you have a hailstorm and the solar cells are broken, who's going to pay for that? Mm. It's not the insurance company. And the wind power. There's just so much you're going to get. So right now, fossil fuels, nothing is going to change that. This this crap with electric cars, the American people don't want electric cars. I don't care. It, it, you should have the option of buying an electric car if you want it. But for Washington to force General Motors short to stop, because that board of directors is going along with Washington to, uh, and Ford I don't think is, uh, to short uh, General Motors to, to say, we're going to make all electric cars by 2030, 2035. Get rid of that company. Then, uh, you, you know, the, the American people, they, they have changed the estimates. There were estimates that, oh, 20 to 70% of, of America is going to be electric cars uh, by 2030, 2035. Well, they changed it now. Mm. Well, maybe 10 to 40, not 20 to 70, 10 to 40. But it would, I would so, assume, John. this is, look, you want a Maserati? Get a Maserati. You want an electric car? You want a Tesla? Get it. All right, but, but you uh, can't force the American people to buy that crap. Right, but we're decommissioning nuclear power plants so all throughout the, the country. Subject. We had Indian Point. Cuomo's were at war with Indian Point. It's decommissioned. There are others in, uh, I think, uh, not Salem, Oyster Creek, was decommissioned in New Jersey. They're getting old. They're being decommissioned. We're not replacing them with any new nuclear power plants. 
Where are they going to get all this electricity well, from well, for you know, electric cars, electric homes, electric everything? First of all, our grid system needs fixing. Mm. Because if something happens to the grid system, then if you have electric cars, if you have electric stoves and uh, electric for everything else, guess what? The country comes to a standstill. Right now, we have gasoline cars. We have uh, 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 gas uh, stoves, etc. We have options. Yes. The country doesn't come to a standstill. And... Um, so I think we have to be very careful how we go forwards. I think the the economy, uh, unemployment is way low. I don't think the economy wants to go into a recession. Uh, right now, uh, the Fed chairman paused. They didn't raise interest rates because they were as much as they wanted to. Because they don't, I, I said to them, I said to them, I looked them in the face on, on when I was on Fox News and, and those Fed chairmen, they watch uh, Fox Business, they watch CNBC, they watch business, uh, uh, Bloomberg Business. And I said to them, you're going to destroy our country. You keep raising interest rates the way you're raising them. You're just going to destroy the country. You're going to, the real estate industry, the buy, buy a new house, sell a new house, it's going to come to a standstill. Who's going to buy a, a house if you have to pay a 7% mortgage? Uh, who's going to sell a house if he's got a 3% mortgage? Well, now on that note. And on construction. Right. Who's going to pay 8.5% on new construction? Well, let me give you an example. Every day, open up the New York Post. You know me. I read the horoscope first. Then I see it's right next to the business section, Elon Musk. Front pages, Elon Musk. He's in a battle of survival with uh, Twitter. He's got Tesla, whose stock is falling. He's got contracts from the federal government for NASA, which is really what's keeping him uh, in good, steady uh, uh, financial uh, uh, safety net. Where is he going? Elon Musk um, is a very, very smart guy. Let's go item by item. Yeah. Twitter. Twitter, I think Elon Musk is uh, can, can double and triple the value of that company if they don't squeeze his nuts. Yeah. If they don't tie his left testicle to his right ear. With Tesla, there's a lot of problems with it. The stock has gone from $300 a share down to $120. Uh, should Tesla survive? Yes. It's it's well designed. It's a nice car. If you want an electric car, it should be an option. Not to, Washington should not tell you you must buy an electric car. That's a lot of crap. So we talked about Tesla. We talked about uh, Twitter. Now the the news that is not making front page: the Russian cosmonauts are in trouble in their space station. Mm. NASA has the ability to help them, not through NASA, through SpaceX and Musk. So you're at the fork in the road with Musk. The fork in the road with Musk is if the government gets mad at him (coughs) because of what he's doing, NASA cuts off Musk's 
budget for SpaceX. And machine kaput. He's gone. That's the power the government has. Yes. Now, NASA said to him last day or so, guess what they said to him? We want to send up a SpaceX capsule to save the Russians uh, in that space station. So tune in the next couple of days and see what the, uh, what NASA does, what SpaceX does. But those, are, you know, Elon Musk is walking in between the raindrops because once, <coughs> excuse me, the, the government gets mad at you, your uh, rear end is grass. Now, another question you uh, were able to expound on electric cars. Every car manufacturing company from Toyota, Hyundai, and Asia to all the big three, uh, General Motors, Chrysler, Ford. We have Tesla here, America, even the European uh, manufacturers are all getting involved in electric cars. And they're all uh, removing AM radios from their cars, their vans, their trucks. That, that's, to me, it's sort of like, what are you removing the AM radio? You, you, why are you doing this? This is the means of communication to all these people who are driving out. They have other and options, but they have AM options radio. of, uh, of the, what happens is the motors are spinning so fast. Yes. It interferes with the AM radio, but there's a way to fix that. And <clears throat> I, I don't know why they're not, but the F, uh, FTC, I understand, is on top of that. I hope so. Not the FTC, the FCC. FCC, right. I hope so, because uh, I can't tell you how many people, when I'm doing a show overnight, people are calling in. You've heard them. People tell me I'm not going to buy a Volvo because they don't have an AM radio. Right, right. AM, Active Minded. We're the number one news talk station in the nation But now. don't forget, uh, we used to have a, a, a our iPhones have 15 billion transistors in it. Our iPhones is also an AM radio. Yes. All you have to do is just press the button on 77 WABC, and worldwide, you get WABC, the whole world. All right. When I, uh, when I ask people overnights, when I do uh, the other side of midnight, uh, Saturday mornings from 12 to 6, and Sunday mornings 12 to 6, I'm getting calls from Buenos Aires. I'm getting calls from Melbourne. I'm getting calls from... Uh, uh, from near Baghdad. These are New Yorkers that yep. left, and they still love New York, and they want to hear what the heck is going on, and WABC is going to become an international station. Global. 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 Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, WABC will always survive and will always do well. Why? We tell the truth, and we have great material, and we have great guests, and we have great hosts. I think people have to realize you're no longer stuck just with the terrestrial radio, which we listened to growing up, the little Sony transistor radio, which was our best buddy at times, especially at night. We had to hide it from our mom and dad. Well, when we the other were thing we're going to do, if some of these uh, car companies don't uh, wake up, that's going to be the largest class action suit you've ever seen going against them. Ah, <laughs> we'll make the lawyers rich <laughs> and the car companies poorer. The Save AM Radio, this thing of ours. And by the way, you can get it on the stream, your laptop. You can hear WABC crystal clear wherever you go, anywhere in the world. Your work computer, as John mentioned, the app, it's free. You're not paying for anything. And in fact, it's it's more clear than 
the terrestrial radio. You know, we're in the canyon of Manhattan here, and at times these big buildings of of uh, brick, mortar, steel, and glass will block the signal. And yet you could be in Jupiter, Florida, and hear the signal crystal clear on the old terrestrial radio, especially when the sun goes down. But with an app, you can hear it crystal clear morning, noon, and night, wherever you might be, on the stream, on your laptop, on your worktop. So this is your friend. And by the way, this weekend again, we're making sure for those who are stuck at home or maybe don't have friends and family to celebrate with, it's like the loneliest time of the year, John. It's a time where a lot of people are very depressed. Sometimes they do very drastic things to themselves in that depression. We are going to keep live and local radio going all weekend long. I'll have my wife with me, Nancy, Sunday, 3 to 5, as we did for Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. Uh, and then, obviously, we'll be with you, the dropping of the ball to the break of dawn. You're going to have live and local programming all weekend long as we take you from 2022. I say good riddance to 2022 and into 2023. And the one thing you know, you've got a friend, you've got a family member right here at WABC. So uh, my resolution is I want to thank you and Margo and Red Apple Media, the parent company of ours, for basically saving us from annihilation, from extinction. We would have been in the Radio TV uh, Hall of Fame. Remember what WABC was in radio? And now you've resurrected us uh, like Lazarus well, from the dead. We're, we're, we're fighting me and you. Always broadcasting Curtis or always broadcasting Cats. Well, we can call it CNC, like CNC Cola. Yeah, absolutely. Cats, Matitas, and Curtis as we've held down the fort for Sid Rosenberg while he's away. And, and we t- got I got a report for you. We, we have record... Record people listening to us. Great, great. Now, Lydia Serrano up next. We're keeping live and local going. Then I'm back with you, 12.15 to 1. Then it's Dominic Carter, who is on overnight. He'll be back from 1 to 3. Then you have Anthony Weiner, who'll be on from 4 to 5. In fact, Rudy will have a surprise from us. You know where he may be broadcasting from, John? Where? Mara Largo. Oh, my God. So you don't want to go anywhere. And then the newsmaker himself, extraordinary. You've been making news all weekend long with your many guests, John. The 5 o'clock roundtable discussion where, again, you found George Santos, who was in hibernation. He gave his first interview. First interview. And he hasn't shut his mouth since. You created a monster there, John. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Uh, we have a lot of hardworking people, and WABC is always on. If you're lonely at 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, it's always going to be Morano or Curtis or now Dominic, too. That's right. Uh, hey, our colleagues out there, time to get back. Time to start working on Monday. Let's start the new year all over again. No gold bricking, no slacking, no deadbeats out there. It's 24-7-365 with the number one news talk station. Your friend, your family, when you may not have any, WABC. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.